Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. I'm John Hindhoff, live from uh, the Hindhoff Towers broadcast suite. That's what I'm calling it now. Um, it's just a bit of a man cave really, uh, but let's not tell you what the responsible adult calls it. At Specutainment if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, not again up in London for the second week running uh, on the road we have. Tim Gray, I can, I can say nothing but over. You, you're not neither up nor down. You are over. Is that right? I'm pr- I'm pretty much up because I'm uh, on quite a high floor. Okay. Uh, you're using your complimentary Wi-Fi from the IHG Rewards Club, aren't you? Absolutely. Excellent. Well uh, so I'm high up in the Crown Plaza, uh, and obviously that's quite near the top of a hill. Right. You're not narrowing it down. I'm not. No. Do you want, shall we come back to that later? We'll come back to that later, maybe. On a pack programme tonight, we have... Uh, we have all the usual features. We uh, we'll be joined by Jeremy Shaw. Oh, really? Excellent. Uh, who is going to talk about where I'm going to be this weekend. Okay, fine. He's been things. very busy lately. Very busy. Uh, we also uh, are going to be talking more about Mazda. Excellent. And uh, their road and to Indy. Their, their road to Indy, which... Uh, is drawing to a close. Oh, now that Reaching is... Reaching the end of the road. Oh, very good. The Mazda end of the road to Indy. Um, that, totally we, to we, say we no. Might, Sorry, we might uh, have some uh, MotoGP. Uh, we'll make a decision on that in about half an hour. Depending on what the weather's doing. Depending on what the weather's doing. Uh, Tony Dezino will be uh, talking to you. That's something that was a pre-record a couple of weeks ago from VIR. Um, and Tony's just written a really nice retros- retrospective piece uh, on... Um, the uh, tsoladder.com website and, I, and I'll post the link to that once you've heard the piece it's it's great we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and that'll be in the second half of tonight's programme um, and, and Richard Prail will be rejoining us can uh, I tell you why now that he's back home can I tell you why big headline big headline the spirit of Le Mans is coming to Australia Lovely. Yeah, we'll find out what all that means uh, later on in the show. A bit of Formula One news as well from the weekend. It's back-to-back Grand Prix with Spa and then straight to Italy for Monza. And, of course, we'll have Nick Damon with us for that. He's settling himself in after uh, a very lovely drive in his triumph. We'll talk to him about that in a wee while. Let's go to Twitter, at Specutainment, uh, as ever. And... Oh, I've managed to scroll down too far there. And let me go. Oh, come on, John. Racefan18 says, any chance of an honourable mention 
for, on Midweek Motorsport for the Bingo Racing Callaway team. Frankly, the fact they're called Bingo Racing Callaway, uh, the race Suzuka at the 10 hours at the weekend, they built the crew from scratch, a new car. They had only one single English translator for the engineers, and they're finished. There you go. Then, yes, we have mentioned it. Also, hello to Chris Suku, who isn't listening live tonight. Apologies for absence from him. He's even further into the future than normal. He's in southern China. Nothing too shush this weekend. Doing a tooling sign-off for a new small truck. He'll be uh, flying uh, in late tomorrow heading to Warwick University and Tata and listen to us on the podcast. Um, I'm doing lots of things with uh, with Tim not being here uh, this uh, evening, so I'll keep an eye on that. Have you got a, a, a football score update, by the way, whilst we're uh, It's still nil-nil. Excellent. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about penalties later on tonight. Uh, legs in lots of things tonight, isn't it? I've, I've got both legs. Yeah, my second legs are working perfectly here. Uh, Midweek Motorsports Series 13, Episode 33. Shuffle your papers, Tim. We're heading to the first story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Never mind two legs. What about two wheels? Is that where we're starting, Tim? Uh, well, it will be, despite the fact I know we'll get a very muted uh, and disappointing response from Nick Damon. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, give, you, I can't give you anything for muted response. He's here. He's here and he's ready. He's ready to go. Um, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't even know where to start. Now, Should we start on Friday? Well, before we even start that, can I tell you... We, um, you know, everybody knows us in in <laughs> motorsport. Yes. Everybody does. Oh, in yes, for me, in for me. They've all got it in for me. Well, that is uh... that is very true. Um, that is very t- true. Um, uh, Stuart Pringle's a good friend of ours, who's the uh, managing director of Silverstone Circuits. He put out uh, a Facebook video about the weekend. Um, we, and I'm going to use the term reached out. We got in contact with... Dorna and uh, Ignacio Sanye uh, came back to me. Um, we asked if he would come on and, or someone would come on and have a chat about it. And this is what we'll talk about it in a moment, but this is what he said. Um, I'm sure you're aware we hosted a press conference from Silverstone on Sunday to explain the situation. We've got a fantastic and exciting live wor- world championship that's now looking forward to the next round in Mizano in just over a week's time. Uh, for this reason, you'll understand our position to respectfully decline your request for an interview as we feel we've already given sufficient explanation about the, sil- the situation at Silverstone and with the spirit of moving forward, we wish to focus fully on the next round of the championship. We can come back to that in a moment. Would you like to start on Friday, Tim? Yes. What was the weather like on Friday? Lovely. I was in Poland. <laughs> what was the weather like in Poland? Well, it was Reno. I was having a, uh, yeah, it was an interesting day because um, uh, it was a lovely warm day and I started it getting quite boiled and quite sad because I went to Auschwitz. And then I went to the salt mines where it is a um, permanent 14 to 16 degrees centigrade. Because you're underground. And very dry and very good for asthma. Yeah, very, and very good. impressive, actually. Yeah. Somebody so, did suggest that they should have swapped the Belgian, Brit- the Belgian uh, Formula One Grand Prix with the uh, British... Motor GP and everything would have been fine. Probably would have had better races for both as well. Uh, I was in Dunfermline. Right, of course you were. Uh, where it was beautifully sunny uh, until... Tim, I was in Thrapston and it was lovely. Until about 5pm when we had the most torrential rain. Yeah. 
And that uh, continued on Sunday. Yeah, well, you missed out Saturday there. Because the yeah, big... well, I'm going to miss out on Saturday because well, Saturday in Dunfermline was not relevant. But Saturday at Silverstone was very relevant. Saturday at Silverstone was very relevant. Sunday at Knock Hill mm-hmm. was relevant because it was very wet and the track wasn't draining very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, since I last went to Knock Hill last year, that track's been resurfaced mm-hmm. uh, by a company that is uh, prolific in the resurfacing of. Uh, racetracks because they also recently resurfaced Silverstone. Yes, yes, it did. Did that go well? Uh, no, not <laughs> as well, it would appear. There was a lot of standing water at uh, Knock Hill. What was the case at Silverstone? Well, I think we have to go back a bit further than that before you ask that because out of us all talking here, Nick, I've driven it. Mm-hmm. I've not raced it, but I've driven race cars there. But Nick has actually been on two wheels on the old Silverstone. And you told us how difficult it was to ride there, even on a, albeit quite extreme, but on a road bike. Well, I did the damp, and that was even harder. Right. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a really, really good track for a really big bike, big power bike, because you can get up to massive speeds and do massively heavy braking. But, you know, that does require uh, large amounts of grip to be uh, available either from the tyres or the tarmac, a combination of both. And, and, you know, you've got a lot of heavy stops. But it was quite corrugated, you said, at one yeah. stage, particularly going into the first corner from the wing, the braking area there, the right-hander, a couple of other areas. So, you know... The point is here that Silverstone spent a lot of money resurfacing this track, mostly at the behest of Mortal GP. Yeah, the other, the, yes, and the other thing they wanted to do was have a, for the first time in I don't know how long, have a contiguous piece of tarmac rather than different strips. parts because strips yeah. of different types. And you know we've lived this tarmac because we were there for the the first event effectively on it, which was the uh, Creventic twenty four hour race, which yes. was suffering from cold weather and oil seep, which is fine. That's supposed to happen. Yeah, um, and it rained. And it rained. Then we came back for for WEC, and by then something had gone wrong with the track already at that point because it suddenly had micro ripples everywhere, and everyone started saying it's horrible. Um, well, in fact, only the pro- in fact only some prototype drivers said it was horrible. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, we have the, the, the thing not draining, and it's—you and it's, kind of think that they would have seen the rain. They, they've had rain before, but what's happened is there's been an evolution of the track. Effectively, it's now got it. What about a, a bump? Is everyone talks about the the bump as the rise, but obviously there has to be a countermanding fall. Yeah, and the fall obviously is effectively a, di- a dip, and into dips, what can gather? Water. Water, if it's not crowned properly, it off. In some places. The reason I think Saturday is significant here, and stay with me, dear listener, is because on Saturday there was the mother and father of all rainstorms. Mm-hmm. It rained heaven's hardest very quickly, virtually out of nowhere, and it was a deluge, a monsoon. Pick any other uh, adjectives out of the thesaurus. And... Unfortunately, it happened while most, whilst MotoGP was out on the track and while most people were out on slick tyres. Yeah. And at the end of the back straight, the end of the hangar straight, going into store, we had a very nasty incident that took out, I think, five riders. And the big problem was that Tito Rabat fell off. Um, he wasn't the first one to go down, mm-hmm. but he fell off and was still lying at the side of the circuit when he was hit 
by was Hernandez's bike, wasn't it? I think so. Um, that hit him and fractured his leg in three places. Really mm. nasty. Yes, it wasn't the actual accident. It wasn't the falling off in the wet. It was the fact that the second bike joined him very quickly. In exactly and, the same, and same place. place. And hit him. So he's actually, he was injured by a, a low-flying bike, effectively. Yeah, and, and, and of course, it just, it just had suddenly hit. They suddenly lost the grip months to go down. You know. The thing about aquaplaning is you aquaplane on the front, front wheel of a motorcycle, you're going off. Even if you're Mar- Marquez in the wet, you're going off. Mm. Um, if you're aquaplane with a, you know, in a car, you've got an opportunity of cadence braking or a bit of, anti, you know, a bit of uh, anti-lock if you allowed that. And you can, get, you can still you know, sort it out. You can gather it all together again. But uh, on a bike, you're going to start looking very embarrassed. As soon as the front wheel down. starts to, to lock up and you start sliding, it's, that's the time when... Um, it's it sorts the pros from the amateurs, to be honest. It's something that I hate. I don't even like leaning the bike over in the wet. Uh, I'm afraid, um, and that's on straight tyres with ABS and traction control and all all the excitement Everything. that BMW can give me on the K1600. All right, so overnight, Silverstone had drainage ditches dug at the worst part of the circuit. They so did some um, uh, remedial work, remedial work on the side. Yeah, to try and get it off. Yeah, which. According to the riders that I heard, worked. It took away the worst of the water down at the bottom of the veil and a couple of other places as well. We get to Sunday, and uh, the decision's made actually quite early to bring forward the MotoGP to get it in before the weather hits. Yes, half 11. So yes. It was, it was already forward in the programme anyway because they wanted to avoid clashing with the Spa Grand Prix. Yeah. So rather than being the last race, it was the second of the three races. And they brought it forward for a theoretical start of 11.30. And they did have a warm-up on, yeah. on Sunday morning yep. in and the dry. Was, two of them were dry, and I think the last one was wet. Yeah. Um, then it started to rain again. And again, it was quite heavy. And it wasn't biblical, though. No, it, it was, was just, not it was biblical. Just, you know, unpleasant, heavy British rain. Yeah. On, on, a, on a surface, though, that was on a, a surrounding area that was still, I think, rather waterlogged from the day before. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing's waterlogged. We've had a f- six-week drought. Yeah, but that's the problem, isn't it? The but ground's just so no, hard. I think it's been enough to get underneath. Look, even my garden now, we're about to sort back to normal rather than being squelchy. Um, the, the basic problem, I think, that I've seen from most people is a lack of communication of what was going on for those at the track mm-hmm. and a lack of a decision being made. Now, I don't think you can really shout at anybody for saying we'll give it as long as it's can uh, we can to try and get the race in no. um, and at six minutes past four there was still an hour and 54 minutes that they could have to race mm-hmm. my issue with all of this is twofold um, and I'll, I'll let you, I'll, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about this um, my issue with this is twofold number one you have a lot of people there mm-hmm who've paid a lot of money to be there. Mm-hmm. It's a bank holiday the next day. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to a couple of people who were marshalling there, and they've assured me that the marshals, the rescue helicopter, and everyone was ready to come back the next day. <coughs> At Qatar, when that race was rained off, that they came back and raced on the Monday, in front of nobody. Nobody was disadvantaged and nobody came to see it the next day. So there's a question I just wanted to ask Dorna and they didn't want to come back to me. That's not Silverstone's decision, that's Dorna's well, decision. that's the team's decision. Well, I'll come to that in a moment. The second thing is that there seems to be a basic disconnect between Dorna, ERTA, which is the Riders and Teams Association, 
some of the front-running teams and riders and the circuit. And the circuit, for whatever has gone wrong with laying the circuit, I'm taking Silverstone out of this at the moment because they weren't part of the decision-making process here. And they never were. It wasn't their decision. What ha- Any of it was not their decision to happen. They wanted to hang on as long as they could. Why did, why did some of the riders and teams simply refuse to come back on Monday? And I haven't been able to get that question. I have not been able to get that question answered. And I've not also been able to get the question. And I saw the Erta official on television saying, I don't understand. Some of the riders want to race. We could be out there. We should at least be trying. There are only two riders I think you actually wanted to race. One was at Jack the end, you, uh, and Mia M- 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 and... Uh, Zarko. Yeah, and I know. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, Zarko was right. Zarko. And I think Dolores Baz as well might want to give it a go because he was subbing, wasn't he? Um, um, yeah, I think the issue comes down to that the teams decided not to run on the Monday. The reason that Qatar race reran was because a large amount of money was paid. Apparently, five million dollars it, it cost to get the thing put back a day. Now, there is a level of inconvenience to everyone when you have a big circus that is moving around in a pre-programmed way and needs to be somewhere else in two weeks' time. Now, or for thirteen days' time. Admittedly, it wouldn't have been a uh, logistical nightmare, but they've all got hotels booked, they've all got ferry crossings booked, they've all got everything else booked. So there is there is a cost to doing all that. Not exactly insurmountable. Not exactly, in modern days, a nightmare. You know, they all have people who work for them as administration. It's going on the internet and rebooking things. Why that didn't happen, I don't know. Can I, I, can I, I mean, suggest to something? Me, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. The, there's on. only one person who benefited from um, not running the races, and that's the man currently leading the world champion. I'm not saying in any way Mark Marquez is responsible for making that rule, but none of the other drivers... 25 points that he hasn't had, hasn't had to defend. Mm-hmm. Anyone else who with the lead he's got wants to run as many races as possible, especially if it's possibly mixed conditions and there's a chance he might drop it. You know, yeah. so that, again, I don't... Th- and I think since you say there's a disconnect. The fact is that if this had been F1 in three years ago and Bernie said we're coming back Monday we were coming back Monday yeah didn't matter I mean it hasn't it didn't actually happen because of its different situation and if Dorna had said we're coming back Monday we'd have come back Monday but they obviously wanted to listen to the to teams they want to listen and more importantly my probable feeling is and this is you know let I am pretty certain they turned around and they said hello Silverstone uh, if you give us 1.6 million pounds or any other figure from your head we'll come back Monday and Silverstone who are insured for the refunds they're going to have to pay out for this event. Well, one would hope so. I'm certain they are. Thinking, nah, it's all right. We won't pay £1.6 million because that would be gone. That would be gone. That would just be a cost. They wouldn't get anything back on the insurance that for, for, for moving on a day. So I'll be honest with you, Nick. I don't think it even got that far. I don't think Silverstone were even asked. I don't think Silverstone well, played any part in this at all. And unfortunately, those are questions I would like to have put to Dorna. Mm. Um, but they declined our kind offer to come on the show uh, and do it. Um, Stuart Pringles, uh, go on Facebook, it's there. It was a couple of minutes of them saying, um, clearly there's some issues with the track, we're going to look into it, there'll have to be an investigation, apologies. Um, Didn't speak about uh, refunds, but I, I... I feel that they should be. I was told, I was told there'll be refunds. It's the same sort of concept as you get. You had no action at all, so it's like there's no race action. 
Um, I think there should be refunds. I, I, everywhere I've read that, would be re- if there aren't refunds, I would be absolutely livid. But you know, I, suppose... I don't hold with these people who say, "Well, you're going to have to refund me petrol and me hotel no. No, and no, 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 the no. two burgers no, no, that no, no, are hard." No, no, no. And all there, of is, that. there is, there is, there is an element of, 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 you know, joint responsibility. But when you haven't put on an event and you should be covered for it, which they should be, then I think that's fine. It's same as it's the same as the refunds you get on the test matches, right? On air, which is cricket, for those that don't know. On a broader note. This is two weekends consecutively that one way or another there have been complaints about the new Silverstone. Now, mm-hmm. are we seeing a pattern here or are we just seeing drivers stroke riders who are a little bit overly sensitive? No, now, listen, I'll put my hand up and say safety is one thing and, and I'm never going to... But the amount of people, including Colin Edwards, who knows of what he speaks, I saw him lifted onto a World Superbike at Brands Hatch a few years ago and virtually have to be held up before the, the grid went off and he was pretty much balancing it on the grid at Brands before he got off onto it. It's a different breed of riders nowadays and it's different times. I accept that. But the amount of riders that I heard, both current and former, that said, five years ago, would have been racing in that. Would have been racing in it. And Colin Edwards, for me, put the best... But the best uh, question out, why aren't we going round behind the safety car and having 26 bikes clear some water and then see what it's like? They're not, they didn't even go out and do a load of sighting laps. But anyway, go back to my original point. Sorry, I'm arguing against myself here, which is it's, fabulous. And you do it quite well. I do, I do. <laughs> I, you know, I think the, the so si- Silverstone, is there a broader problem at Silverstone? And, and yes, if so, what needs to happen? Whoever it is, Silverstone or the contractor has allowed to stop the resurfacing for two reasons. One, because it's settled badly, so you've now got all the bumps you had before, and now it's settled in a way which is not draining. Now, Originally, it was to take some of those bumps out, if not all of them, was yeah, it not? It was, it, was a, it was to smooth it out, make it a little more um, friendly towards the bikes, and to make it a contiguous one set of tarmac. I don't think for any moment, I don't think Silverstone has scrimped on it, and I don't think necessarily there's been a error made um, of a Machiavellian nature by the tarmacker. Um, what has happened is they've either used the wrong, a slightly wrong mix, they've got, they haven't got the drainage worked out, they haven't just, worked out the cabins, crowned it or whatever, I don't know. I'm go- well, you don't crown a race circuit. Wait, race circuit is flat. A little bit. Um, I'm going to say two words, which will mean something only to those people who know. Sub-base. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I used to work in public works. But they haven't done that because they have. I don't think they stripped off the previous surface, did they? Yeah, they the, ripped off the previous surface before they put the new one in. Yes, as far as I'm aware, it was all broken up. It was all broken up and taken away. I, 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 I'm quite happy to be okay. put right on that, but certainly from what I'm, I'm reading, where does Silverstone go next? We're well, coming into the winter season. The bank for a new. For, for, they're going to have to work out what's wrong with it, and, and, and you know, if the, if the issue is it has settled, and you know, obviously have had a very un seasonably dry summer which would have changed the uh, the underlying that's um, a very surface, good point um, which may have accelerated this problem or prevented it settling properly I don't know but they they need to find a way of sorting it out and, and, but drainage really should be is more about what happens at the side of the track than on the track itself it's more about how we're going to you know carry the water away as it, as it comes off the circuit so they're obviously they've been told by um, they've been told by uh, Dorna they're going to have to resurface if they're going to run the race next year um, the Sepang CEO was there at the weekend because of the fact that they've got a MotoGP uh, team who um, I think is Razlan Amat Razali. And he was saying the, f- the first time that they resurfaced Sepang, it-, it had to be done three times. Well, they get biblical rain there. 
He knows it, all about rain at Sepang, it, doesn't it he? It certainly rains at Sepang. It always rains at Sepang. Uh, and then the second time that they resurfaced it, it only took them the one time to do it. They did it in a slightly... The once to do it, sorry. it uh, they, they did it in a slightly different way. So they they did learn from it. I'm... I'm, I'm we wish our best to Stuart Pringle and the guys at Silverstone. And when it becomes appropriate, we'll have Stuart on the show. Um, I'm, I'm quite happy to give him some time. I, I think the thing is, I don't, you know, I find Stuart, this Stuart, I'll unfor- tell you now. It's an unfortunate situation. I'm not sure really how much I blame anybody. It's, it, I think it's one of these things where the true measure is how you recover from it. Because I don't think they could have known this was going to happen. I think it could have been handled better. Well, well, the communications from sporting events when things are going wrong across the globe is, is universally poor. I mean, I followed it on Twitter um, as I was looking around on Sunday morning. The going, guys, oh, it's, it's delayed by 10 minutes. It's I, delayed by 10 minutes. Oh, it's back again. It's I delayed ap- again. I appreciate that this is somewhat parochial, but I sat and watched from 10.30 in the morning till 5 past 4 in the afternoon um, BT Sport staying with it and interviewed you'd have been in your element you and I have done this before when there's been delays when we used to do ITV Sport for motor racing they interviewed everybody in the paddock in fact if they'd gone any further out of the paddock they'd have been down at Brackley and still interviewing well, people I've knocked on your door to go a bit further <laughs> it's a shame I wasn't there actually <laughs> they, they pulled everybody else in to to mm. have a, a chat I, I think I think Dorna and I think the teams and the riders need to take a long, hard look at themselves about attitude. Whether or not it's on safety ground, whether or not they were right, wrong or indifferent, I thought their attitude was poor. Um, there was there was dissent between the, the riders at various stages. Some of them who were putting... Now, you know, whether they're having a bit of fun or not, but some of them saying, let's come back Monday. Some of them saying, let's go home. Some of them saying, let's race. Let's just get out there. The, you know... There needs the to be need a common voice. The, 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 Somebody needs to make a decision. Nobody exactly. wanted to make a decision. Someone needs to be in charge. Uh, someone needs to be a small man from Essex or Norfolk, wherever he's from, and go, all right, guys, you're doing it. Or you're not. Or you're not and we're knocking it. it on the head. Let's not faff about Yeah, okay. Um, I, as I say, I, one thing I know, Stuart Pringle is an absolute enthusiast. He uh, doesn't deserve some of the nastiness that's been directed yeah, yeah. towards him no, 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 no. as an individual. Not at all. Not and I don't think any of the individuals who are getting the nastiness delivered to them. And by the way, best wishes to Tito Rabat for mm. his recovery. All right, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Um, MotoGP, um, we've spent longer talking about it than they were on the <laughs> track one, yeah. at the weekend. They're off to... Misano. Misano. In a couple of weeks' time. Yes, one of the th- three Italian rounds before the 17 Spanish rounds. Uh, and as you say, the man who benefits most from no race, and this is this is a fact, it's not a, uh, a, a value judgment, is Marc Marquez, who continues to lead the championship. By the same number of points he did before the weekend. Oddly. Yeah, no change there. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right. Uh, Mizano, whose circuit is it? Whose circuit isn't it? I genuinely don't know. I'm going to say it's, it's Marquez, because they all are. Okay, <laughs> seems reasonable. Nick Damon joining us live on Midweek Motorsport as we're rapidly approaching half past eight here in the UK. Let's go back to Seattle, uh, where that means it must be half past midday. With you, just you, gave, you just gave away where he was. Uh, uh, hmm? You just gave away where he was. Oh, sorry. You have just given it all away. Yes. So you're not short of a coffee or two there then? How many coffee there. shops are there in downtown Seattle? Well, there were 60 Starbucks alone. 60. 
What's it the point? It's literally one every corner. Why? Because they can. It's where they're from. I know it's where they're from. But... Have you been to the headquarters yet? Tim? Is it like? Does it go like? I haven't. That's good. Did you go to Starbucks, Microsoft, Starbucks, Microsoft, Boeing, Starbucks, Microsoft, Boeing? So is this, basically, is it slightly fewer you, Boeing jobs? You have jobs. forgotten the original Seattle company, go the on. one that was here before all of the others. Go on. I don't know. UPS. But, uh, well, they they just delivered themselves elsewhere. <laughs> don't know where they're going, but they'll be there by nine o'clock in the morning. They've shipped themselves. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, where should we go next, Tim? Shall we stay at the very pinnacle uh, of sport? Move, we're going to move to single-seaters now. Okay. No, he said single-seaters. Uh, Northern European Formula Renault 1.4. The entries are quite down though, this year. Yeah. Uh, about we're it. not going to talk about anything with the Renault engine. We're looking more at uh, BMWs. Right. What? And Formula BMW. Does that still exist? back. No, it doesn't. Right. No. Uh, we're going back to 2005 Formula BMW. What, the first year to be Formula BMW? The second year? Second year Formula BMW? Well, we're, we're looking specifically at the German Formula BMW Championship in 2005. Is that when uh, Vettel it, won? It didn't just race in Germany. Did it race at Spa? They went to Spa. They went to Brno as well in, in 2005. Uh, and Nico Hülkenberg. Yes. One. Uh, managed to... Uh, get pole position there so he obviously knew that going along the start finish straight he had to break at some point <laughs> however well not necessarily weekend, not if he qualified on pole there how did he really no, he said to break John I should hit a barrier at the end of the wall well so <laughs> there's an element of breaking required at the weekend um, he seemed to have forgotten that you have to break before you get to that first corner hmm it wasn't his best hour, was it? He didn't do a brilliant job. Um, Can no. I just say, though, honestly, other than the first corner of the race, nothing happened. No, that's not fair, because it, we've got the whole of the first sector. All right, OK. <laughs> All the way up to the end of the Kemmel Strait. Um, around the yes, two and then the safety car came out, so you'd expect nothing more to happen. And nothing else and happened. Nothing to they might as well have left the safety car out till the end of the no, race. No, because then Valtteri Vottas wouldn't have done what he did. Before we talk about the first corner, I, I, I want to say that I am scandalised. I am scandalised. And, and in <laughs> Really? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Go on, then. Spa. Yes. Magnificent circuit. Yes. Absolutely neutered now by the current crop of cars, the amount of downforce they've got, the amount of grip they're getting from the tyres and the amount of runoff. The fact that in qualifying conditions, certainly, practice conditions for the most part, and indeed at some stages during the race, Puon, which is the downhill double left, is 302 kilometres entry speed and flat through that corner is absolutely extraordinary in one way and sad in another. There is no challenge to it whatsoever anymore. No challenge. I, I, I just, I could, I mean, it's well, I have breathtaking good in news one way. for you what? and bad news for you. Right. Next year's regulations will lose some downforce. Right, good. Bad news, they're going to have extra DRS. I don't really care about DRS. doesn't well, have to go around corners. kind of ruined the overtaking. It was like, oh, I'm quite close to you as I've gone round uh, Eau Rouge. I am now going 27 miles now quicker than you were. Wee! I'm ahead. I, I, I just want the corners to be more well, of a challenge. Well, there's going to be a reduction in downfalls for the new regs next year. So they will be 
a little bit. I'm mildly happier about that. They'd be a little bit more challenging. But the, as over- someone who the overtaking char- is going to be so easy. As somebody who's charged down to Puan in a road car, and uh, uh, what I thought was probably 25 or 30 miles an hour faster than I really could go around there, started to panic and then realised that there was a car park the size of a small shopping mall on the driver's right, so if I ran off it wasn't really a problem. So relaxed and then managed to get round the corner. Blanchemont, by the way, is flat out in a streetcar as well, most streetcars as well, because you're not going quick enough. Um, it's not necessarily in top gear, mine, because it is slightly uphill there. Um, I just want to see it as more of a challenge. All right, let's go back to the, the start then. So there was the incident. Hulkenberg sets off a chain reaction, although Danny Rick was having his own accident and drove into... Bottas had an accident. Into Reichen and he drove, didn't he? No, that? he got he got punched at the backside first. Did he? That's why his rear wing was broken. All right, okay. It's amazing. How many times you hit someone at the back, it never breaks your rear wing. It's a bit of a giveaway. Oh, it didn't reverse into him. No, not that okay. time, no. Um, yeah, I mean, had a, we had a, we had a, another accident. Typical spa start, wasn't start, it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they, yeah, we, they, everyone decided that because Fernando Alonso got airborne and scraped across the front of Charles Leclerc's uh, car, it meant that Halo was the greatest thing ever. I'm not even going there. It's like, well, I don't actually think it mattered, but, it, you know, I, I've never... It was there, good. No one got hurt. Great. Don't think it mattered. People go, it's the end of the argument. Well, it's not the end of the argument, but... There's no argument. I'm not if, quite if sure why you're trying to, trying to shut this argument down that wasn't an argument in the first place. Yeah. It's still ugly. It's still ugly. Um, d- does it save people? Possibly. It will do in some circumstances. I still am very, very concerned about somebody being able to get out with an inverted car if it's on fire. Hmm. But we'll that, find out. But, you know, let's hope we don't find out. Let's hope we don't find out. That's I saw what they have seen in someone get out of an inverted car in, in F2. With, and they've got the halo. Come on, the guys. Okay, good. But well, the fire bit. Okay. Not, um, not so the yes, most exciting so race after that. I think, you know, we ended up with, with effectively a weekend dominated by the politics and the comings and goings of entire teams and who's going to drive for whom next Talk week about that in a and everything else. But the race itself, put your hand down. No, no. Off. No, no. I want to say something because <laughs> you said DRS is ruining the overtake, and the only overtake that mattered was for the lead and was not DRS assisted. No, didn't need to be because he had a, he had a, he got a better run. He had a better. Does that traction. make your ar- argument or trash it? No, it's at in the places first like lap. Spa. You don't need it's the first. No, it's the first lap. But at places like Spa, you don't need DRS if you've got um, if you've got a good dr- drive. No, I think I think the second or third lap. I think it's we didn't see it, but the you'd have to is whether you can get close enough going through a rouge following a car where you would lose some potential speed and then going up. I mean, I I, I personally um, think DRS is a necessary evil, but it needs to be sorted out. Did Lewis lose the Grand Prix by trying to be too clever on the yeah. restart and trying yeah. to do the overtake straight after the safety car no. light? No, he'd have lost it anyway. It didn't matter. The Ferrari was uh, faster where it needs to be faster. It was faster coming out of... Um, the first corner and faster all the way down the straight up the Kemmel straight. So he, if, if in, even he'd be in the lead, if Fettel had sat behind him for three laps, waiting for DRS, he'd have sailed past in the first chance he got. Um, no point Force India, or whatever it's called. What's it called? Racing, Racing point. point Force India. They have, right. to, they have to call themselves Force India because of an amazingly convoluted... Um, but they're a new entrant. So they can call themselves whatever they want. No, because the chassis is still the chassis. It's like buying a defunct team. Right. So they have I to thought you weren't allowed exactly to... what they did. Yes, yeah, so they have effectively... The, Not exactly, so the chassis no. is still the chassis, so you can't rename the chassis. It's, it's a convoluted tale. You can rename the team. It's upset everyone, but most of rename has. the team. They have renamed the team, and the new team is called Racing Point, but the chassis name is still Force India. Mm. Well, why is everybody still calling them Force India, then? Because that's the chassis name. 
No, they still call them Force India. Nobody's calling them Racing Point. Yes, because and it doesn't they... say Racing Point above that garage. It says Force India. Well, that's because they've got time to print new graphics. But um, don't know. I, mean, I thought you weren't allowed to change your name midstream. No, mid-season. it's a different team. Basically, what's happened is all those assumptions we've made over the past. Well, certainly since 2010 when the new regs came in, but probably ever, um, has been changed by what's commonly known as the wonderful world of force majeure and making up as we go along and discovering new rules because we actually want to do the best thing for once. But how have they managed then? So they're a new entrant, so they've lost all of Force India's points up until yes. now. The old Force yeah. India. Yes. Uh, Fifi, as yes. I still want but to call it. The chassis they've bought are homologated as Force India. No, 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 forget all of that. I'm past that now. Okay, good. We've, we've already moved on. Fine, all right. Um, so they've lost all of their entrance points. Yes. The manufacturer's points. Yes. So they had to start yes. again at the weekend. Yes. They had a good yes. weekend, so they're already back up to eighth in the championship. Yes. Um, however, they haven't lost all the cash that's coming their way. No. Now, how does that work? Don't know. Because normally you have to have two years of proving that you are a, are an entrant worthy of being yes, there. Got over that, the yes, they got over that one, and that appears to be because of stuff. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Stuff. The, the, the other teams who were objecting to them getting their points and everything else... Notably Haas, um, who didn't get anything they, for their first two years of entry. Yeah, but Haas themselves have got to be a bit careful, because they're in a bit of a glass house at the moment. They, want, they probably don't want people pointing at them too much about. Why? Because of the way they finance their team, the way they write, the way effectively they've used you mean seven, they're, seven they're Ferrari. Ferrari, yes. So they, they're probably best just to moan a bit. You mean they're Ferrari Russell? Yes, they're just moaning a bit. And also, the, the, even, the point about it is, even with the points they've, because of the points they've lost, there's no way forcing you to go past them now. So they're fine. They're, the forcing you're not an issue for them. Yeah, this but they're still in the top 10, so they'll get that money at the end of the season well, that's where they it. should have to wait two years. Well, that's not how it works because people sign it off and don't forget new rules, new Concord agreement, new I team. I thought management. everybody had to agree to it. Everyone, no, 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 no. No, they did. Everyone signed the yeah, it's all right form and then they started whinging. All oh, right. Well, then in that case, I have less sympathy for them. I have no sympathy. I think this is a sensible a sensible solution and, and perhaps if this sensible solution had been available to some of the other teams went bust, some of the uh, teams would have kept going and they would perhaps they would have paid the um the suppliers. Yeah, that's a very good point. Cuz one of the things to one of the things to they had to guarantee to uh liberty, liberty they would pay all the debts. So well, that I agree with them. So basically, if you want to come in and start from scratch, you have to guarantee pay all the debts and because they've got some very rich men Financing Bank the team, it, yeah. they can say we will pay all the co- and then obviously I'm sure that will be checked and then they will pay, and they will pay all the debts. So good. It's a better to me. Well, in that case, me, this is adult and grown up, and well, I'm so not Formula One, and I completely approve of it. Yeah, and it's so not Formula One or motorsport because it's great because the team gets in trouble. It means they can be rescued as a going concern. People haven't got to worry about the fact that not they got to buy the team. They've got forty or eighty and or Dave sixty Miggins, million. Who makes the widgets? Who's ordered, yes. you know, two hundred grand? The travel is, company, the hospitality team. Yeah, you know, I mean, to me, this is this is a a good solution to a to a bad situation that was caused by it drifting on too long because of the people who were in charge, and that's the reason why they couldn't do what they wanted to do and had to scrap it and start again. Right. Okay. So, I'm happy. No, no, you've convinced me. Good. So my mind has been changed. Excellent. Okay. Note that down, collective. That's about your uh for that. Well, you're a reasonable man. This is a reasonable solution. This is what should happen. That's absolutely fine. Um, Sergei Sorotkin. What about him? Where's going he going? To Williams. He's at Williams. He's at Williams. He's staying at Williams. So he's staying at Williams. Well, for the rest of the year, yeah. Right. Ar- Next Ar- year. Markelov is going to Williams. Is Possibly. he? Possibly. But there's a clash. A clash of Russian sponsors. 
because Russian time and SMP have overlapping requirements. It could be an all-Russian Williams. Suddenly, Williams, who have a rubbish car... Um, <laughs> Team Awful Williams. Team Awful Williams. Got Williams to keep calling them. ...are it? now sitting there with the thing that no one else has. What? Which is freely available seats for buying, for hire. Yeah. With people, not only seals, do you have yes. Sorokin, not only do you have Markolov, you also have Ocon, you also have George Russell... You know, who who are who Mercedes want to get into the team. It is of course this time actually is a Mercedes powered team. Um the question the only real question is Is this whether, all part of Claire Williams' cunning plan then? What? Lucky into something. Yeah. It's cunning enough, isn't it? Get some cash. But might end with might they end up with more cash than if they'd been able to keep hold of um Lance Stroll in the first place then? Oh yes. Well uh, maybe, who knows? It depends how much people pay, it depends how much Mercedes are paid to pay to put Ocon or Russell into the team. They've got a pretty big bargaining chip. It's called the engine. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the whole convoluted merry-go-round that may or may not happen, almost certainly not this weekend, it may happen before Singapore, mm. with Stroll joining his dad at Force India and Ocon going out. It's not called Force India anymore. You just told me that. Racing point. Racing point. Pointless point, yeah. Anyway, it's, well, it's, they're not pointless anymore. No, they're not. They've got 19 points. <laughs> Which is more than McLaren. And McLaren have got more points. And Yes, they have. They've only gone past Williams so far. Oh, have they? Okay. Don't forget how many points Alonso has scored with the best drive ever, TM. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a. The, the fact is that Van Dorn is on borrowed time. He's either out at the end of the season or out next in two weeks' time. Um, the good news for him <laughs> is that Ocon's too tall to get into the McLaren. Right. So that's solved a problem. Um, so he might last the end of the season. Um then he's out, and then they've got to decide whether they want to take Norris or whether they want to perhaps even take Perez back, or they want to just find someone with some money. So McLaren is fishing around with Who's already driven a Ferrari? Um, it's his eye. Leclerc on a filming day. Mm. So Do we read anything into that? Or is that people no. just being overly. Tim says no. Why not, Tim? Is that people being overly putting two and two together and making 256? He probably drove it because Giovinazzi wasn't available that day. I mean. No, I'm sure he drove to get. Ferrari have a lot of drivers on their books. Yes, that's true. That's true. Are you right, you know. know. Who knows? But well, yes, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with the uh, the Raikkonen and uh, Leclerc. We still don't know what's going to happen with Ericsson, the second Sauber seat. You know, but there's not a lot available, which is kind of free. So that's where Williams have a strong hand to gain as much pay driver money as possible. So there might be team awful Williams, but in the some things in Formula One may have changed with the reasonable um, attitude towards Racing Point, knee force India. Mm. Right? See what I did there? See, oh, good, I've yeah. got that. No, no, that's, that's fine. Um, however, uh, some, of, uh, some of the old habits die hard, which is you don't necessarily have to have a great car to be taking lots of money out of people to sit in it. Well, no, especially when there's only 20 cars in total and um, most of the teams have given up being paid for drivers. You know, there's... Right. Only one of the drivers you know, definitely shoving loads of his own money in, and that's obviously uh, Ericsson. There's others who bring sponsorship, which then gets disputed around. But the problem is, see, there are no, we've got no Minardi anymore. We've got no teams which you just you troll around the back and try and make people look good, which did work quite a few times. And everybody gets money at the end of the year now it's because it's teams. only the top ten, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Even Awful Williams will get money. Team Awful Williams. So they, um, and then they're going to, to try and design a car that's slightly better. Now in fairness, the McLaren is so bad, it's actually going backwards towards them. It is. It's bad, isn't it? When um, two 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 teams, I thought, who looked particularly bad at the weekend, one of whom came third, but that that was Red Bull. You know, complain, complain, complain about the engine, and 
you know, they had last year's they engine. skinnied in, it out, didn't they? Yeah. So they really skinnied it out. And then you've got McLaren, who, I mean, that just get, goes from bad to worse. It really does. But we've well, talked I mean, about that before. Let's, the, let's leave that. That's the, leave yeah, it. the interesting thing is, obviously, that it's it's stopped being a three-team championship, and now it's a two-team championship. Yeah. Um, which is a, a the only advantage left to Lewis because, of course, he has a lead. And therefore, it's harder to cut a lead when there's less people involved. But it does look pretty good for Ferrari at the moment. But that could all change. Yeah, um, I'm still saying Lewis. Who, who is a second half of the year type of guy? Well, Lewis, normally. That's not your answer. I do you include, this is someone who has, over the last five races, mm-hmm. scored twice as many points as Charles Leclerc. Is it Romain Grosjean? It is not. Um, is it Marcus Ericsson? It's Marcus Ericsson. Is that two points rather than one? He scored points in three of the last five races as Ericsson. I don't really think you could blame Leclerc for what happened this weekend, though. No. Uh, you've got to, got to think about that, you know. You've got to be looking in your mirrors, make sure you, yeah, but you have to don't put your car in danger. Yeah, but the car flew into him. He had air traffic control. God, why didn't he just brake? Let him go over the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, then Hulkenberg would have hit po- him as well. This is the point about it. I there, am only joking. There are no terrible drivers in F1. Ericsson probably is the least rated, but he's still pretty good. Yeah, you know, there's, 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 I would not rate him least either. No, you got who have you got? Lance, you rate least. Sergey Sorokin. I've given it. I but gave we don't him last know. week. I gave him a pass. Gave no, him a pass last we week. Know, you no said idea. the same thing. Too. I wasn't in favour of him getting the drive, but hey. Any Who more knows? from any any more from Spa before we uh, move on? Nothing more from Spa. Right, uh, Monza. I know. Next week. Yeah, no. Three days. To, it this starts week. tomorrow. The well, press conference. Sorry, next weekend <laughs> is what I said. Yes. The next weekend. So, yes. So yes, we we are um, not. Yes, we're not even twenty four hours. Should be away. Ferrari. Of course, it should be. But but might not. But might not be. No. Uh, last Danny, year... Danny Rick's going to start from the back. Last year, this was their worst weekend of the entire season. Danny Rick's going to start from the back. Why? Because he's, he's getting himself a lovely new Renault engine that's worth... which, which is B-spec. Which is even less moanable about than uh, the previous one. B-spec engine. No, it's a C-spec engine. Is it a C-spec engine? Yeah. It? It's worth 0.3 of a second, which sounds like about 40 horsepower. But which is what, uh, which is what Christian uh, Horner has been... He reckons they're 70 down. Does he? And I wouldn't deny they probably are, but then they get their, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to say because obviously Newey's cars are draggy, so hmm. it's hard to tell. weren't at the week that they up the they laid well, it out still at the be draggy. Weekend. The rest of it is no, draggy. The downforce surfaces, the, the wings are the least of the downforce surfaces now. Just bits we can see. Um, Monza is not the track that has the most flat out running on it anymore. What is seventy five percent at Monza? Mm-hmm. There's there's one track that's more than that. Do you know what it is? Austin? No. Don't Tim? Suzuka? No. No, it's, it is now. It's, it must be a new track. A new track. Abu Dhabi? No. One more guess from you, and then I'm going to claim the point. Sochi? Baku, Azerbaijan. Oh, of course, because long straight. Because the two long straights. Ah. Um, Baku, Baku? The, the issue that they've got with the engines is, that even though they're only revving to around about 13,000 revs now, the cylinder pressures that gets built up with these long straights, and particularly somewhere like Monza or Baku, is actually greater than when the engines were revving <laughs> at 20,000 revs. Uh, so are we going to see engine problems this weekend? I've done so far. These cars are very reliable. Is that because they've been turned down or because they're in the first half wonder, of the season? You do kind of wonder, if we were back to the good old days of 
350 kilometer engine is doing a 310 kilometer race. Yeah. How much more they get out of them? Yeah. Because they obviously they're actually running eight races effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'd like to see that happen, but it won't. Uh, we need more spectacular engine blow-ups. At least three tenths of a second. Uh, the C-spec mm. engine is what they're saying. So I'm going to confidently predict that Ferrari are going to win, which probably means they won't. Um, it's uh, an interesting situation. I think there's. Um, it's, it's not as. It's not as black and white as go well at Spa. You'll go well at um, Monza. Um, because it's a very, very different environment. But um, then, of course, we have the last chance hotel for um, Red Bull with Sepang. Not Sepang, um, Singapore. Yeah. So it's still all to play for, and there's a lot of development going on. And, you know, there has to be a question whether, you know, people like Red Bull should now just stop bothering about this year and wonder about how they're going to fit their Honda with the new regulations. Tim, you got any more? Uh, Yes. Go on, then, quickly. We're German pushing Grand Prix on. back on the calendar next year. Yes, really? they've, they've, they've apparently they've negotiated a one-year deal to get it back on while they work out whether it's worth worthwhile. So he Which circuit? Uh, Hockenheim. Hockenheim. Never, yeah. never bring his completely bereft of cash. Okay. Well done. Good save. <laughs> um, well, I thought the, the Hockenheim race was a decent race this year. No, apparently it didn't get the crowd, apparently. Well, it did get the crowd, apparently. It got a much better crowd than they were expecting, though perhaps not the crowd we used to used to seeing. Right, OK. But they had budgeted. That's a very good distinction. They had budgeted for a crowd and got 15,000 more. Happy days. So they went, oh, hello. Bottom all right. line. All right, we'll give it another go. Straight on the bottom line. Good stuff. More and also, it's oh, sorry. sorry, the other rumour is that they've managed to get a big discount for this one-year deal, yes, which obviously is something discount. else which Mr. Pringle may be interested to hear about. Uh, it's because that was the last... Uh, no, one more to go. One more to go next year. And okay. then the contract ends up, and there's no wish to Grand Prix, and obviously that's not going to get sorted out. Uh, any more, Tim? <laughs> Who's been showing his admiration for uh, Bernie Eccleston this week? Max Mosley. No. Bernie Eccleston's son-in-law. No. <laughs> Is it? I can't say that. Sorry, keep going. Uh, John Alessi. <laughs> Where did Not that come from? Why <laughs> John Alessi? It's, that's the first man that... Gerhard Berger to thank me for smuggling a, a very valuable thing in Disney for him. No. Go on then, who? Sean Bratches. Oh. oh, really? From Liberty. He's the one without the... the uh, he's non... He, no, he's, he's Chase not the Carey mustache. has the big moustache. Yeah, that Sean needs Bratches. to go now. Do you think so? Yeah. Okay. Uh... You have to have a lot of respect for how he managed to do it at all. Uh, there was no business, no market research, nothing, no strategy, only Bernie. Well, it wasn't his to sell the first place either, which is even better if you go back far enough. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of yeah, that, do a you? brilliant job. And, uh, you yeah. know, in fairness, he's not made any pointless proclamations for ages. I think he's finally retired. Who, Bernie? Yeah. Is he? Is he? Is he? Probably just gone on holiday. Gone back to well, he's not allowed to. He's, oh, no, he's not. Gone in to Brazil with his half his age. Any more? No, that's all I have. Right, I, I've I, I've got a very interesting bit of twitterage that came out twitter-age. last week. After remember during last week's show, we were talking about the addition of an extra race on the WEC calendar in yes, twenty 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 one. And where would it be? You yes. saw that. That went bonkers on Twitter. <laughs> now, before I tell you which one came out on top, wh- where would you have, Nick? Uh, I would have. Bear mind, it's, it's, it's got to be around about April time, and ideally, oh, April, okay. ide- well, it's got to fit in between um, Sebring and Spa, which are March mm. and May, and so you've got to be able to get between the, the uh, venues. First choice mm-hmm. will be Nürburgring. Second right. choice, Imola. Right. Tim? Uh, 
Nürburgring is the choice is the obvious choice. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go back to the Nürburgring with oh, these cars. Right. Okay. Um, so Italy would be nice. Spain would be nice. Where, Hungaro but, ring. But where would you go in Italy? Well, Imola is always good. Okay. Um, Spain. Where would you go in Spain? You're already in Spain. Uh, could go to Barcelona. Oh. You already have Barcelona. No, no, not. What with the not WC? With oh, sorry. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yes. Portimao. You go to Barcelona. Would you go Portimao? It's class two. No, it's class one A. One T. It used to be. I don't think they paid for it to keep it up like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Shall I give you some of the more outrageous ones? Some of which I quite like. I actually quite like somewhere we've already talked about, which is Baku, Azerbaijan. But I think it's too tight around some of the places. But it'd be fantastic. They'd have to write the week before. Yes. Because you're shutting down the whole town. Yeah, I know that. But, you know. Monaco. If it's Monaco was mentioned, a lot of po? people. We go uh, to Poe. No, a lot of Poe was never mentioned. How can you go to Monaco and you can't overtake? Well, a lot of people mentioned straight tracks. Interestingly enough, Circuit Shield Villeneuve was mentioned. That's not a bad mm-hmm. call. Now that did you see? But they've no. never got enough money to do it. No, I know that, and I think the travel. Um, a lot of the places that I actually really like the ideas of the travel logistics, I think, would be too difficult to get them back to Spa mm-hmm. without having to put the cars on planes. Um, so I sort of narrowed it down to Europe circuits. Yeah. Um, uh, somebody said, can we go to Silverstone again? And <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Um, the one that came out top of uh, the two that came out top of everywhere, which I'm surprised haven't has one hasn't been mentioned. And one hasn't been mentioned is Paul Ricard. Ricard in April, South of France. Like the sound of that. We've done the prologue there work. before. Yeah. Could work. It's a formula one. Lake venue Torrent. Now. Sorry? Lake Torrent? No. That didn't come up. The other one what, was... What's wrong with that? Mor- Monza was the other one that came up. But the problem with Monza is they never have enough deers, do they? Yeah, and also they, what people want Monza with the chicanes taken out and they wouldn't do that. No. They'd, but the other one, interesting, was Imola. I liked Imola. Mm. I like Imola. I, we, we had the ILMC at Imola. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. Well, you saw ILM, uh, ILMC at uh, Portimao as well. Yeah. Because no, I was there with you. LMS, Portimao. Was it LMS? Yeah. There's no right. nine before. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Nurburgring probably because also, but there isn't really that German axis anymore, is there? Well, no. I suppose there isn't GTE, I suppose. Yeah. With BMW, Porsche, and uh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, keep the Twitterage coming on that at Specutainment. Uh, Do you know where's a good track? It would never go. Go on then. Mayor Cor. Well. Mangkor is a I'm fabulous track in the wrong place. Up. Also, the issue with Mangkor, which is a complete lack of hotels, wouldn't be an issue for the wet because you've got you know, a much smaller audience. Ooh. Mm. That's very good. And it's a great track. Mm. Seems reasonable. France has a lot of great tracks. You could go to Nagaro. No, I don't think if you, you could. If you say Lercy Levy, I'll, 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 I'll take you outside and give you kicking. <laughs> you have to go a very long way. You have to go a very long way. Uh, any other th- any other thoughts about now? If, if we took, if what, we t- why are you objecting to Lake Torrent? What category track is it? Well, it hasn't been built yet, well. but it will be by then. And and what oh, category will it be? Should we put the Circuit of Wales then? It's it's going to host World Superbike, so it must be pretty high. Um, mm, FIM and FIA are very different. Uh, 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 I mean, yeah. we did nearly have Russia with Moscow. There was a, a serious. Uh, when I was still working in the WAC, there was a serious um, inquiry about Moscow 
And, you know, I, 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 that's why I thought sort of going that way might work. A lot of people Something talk... that a few people speculated about was the bend. Well, I was going to say Australia um, if and the bend. I think if they're going to Australia... Not really on the... On the way from Sebring to Spa, it's not very though, good as far as travel is concerned. But they would probably—you'd have to do that at a different time they'd of year. They'd probably too. get a big buy-in from Adelaide again. Well, would they? That's what it would need. That's the question. Adelaide's desperate to try and get. We'll the be talking either. about the spirit of Le Mans going to Australia in the second oh, yes, half yes, of, with, of with tonight's program. Uh, Richard Krill will be getting Hello, him. Hello, Krill. Uh, lovely to meet you a couple of weeks ago. He—he he was I've yet. never met him before. He'll never be up. He'll not be up yet. Well, he might listen to it. That's why we—that's why we put him <laughs> on near the end of the program. Krill's—he ran about an hour's time. Is when he said we can get in <laughs> right. touch with him. Um, and whilst we're talking uh, about things to come, how about what's coming up tomorrow evening? Uh, it's another episode of the Torah. Radio show. The team are back together again and discussing all of the latest news in uh, online racing. And it's been very, very busy indeed. Well, everyone's announcing the tie-in series, aren't they? Yes. But Toro were there first. Let's not forget. And they are still the only online racing sanctioning body who are recognised by their national motorsport authority. They are a club as recognised by the MSA. And you know what happened? Um, just completely aside, the Italian um, governing body, the Italian version of the RACMSA, I don't know who they are, have taken radio control racing under their wing. Oh, have they? Yes, yeah, so the Italian Radio Control Authority has ceded governance to the um, Automobile Association. That's very, very good. So that's now Finland, Norway, and Italy. And, is that, and Sweden as well. Is that both um, IC, Internal yeah, yeah. Combustion, thing, and yeah. Electric? Yeah, yeah. I think that's Remember. really. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Remember that the Caravan Club is an affiliated uh, club of the FIA as well. Yes, of the FIA, but no, not no, the Motorsport no, 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 Association. The governing, the, um, governing, well, the governing body of Norway has a minimum entry age, I think of, I think it's 14, the youngest you're allowed to race in Norway. And officially, it's the youngest you're allowed to do RC racing as well, because it's covered under the same thing. Hmm. Which is why a well-known Norwegian driver had to race under a Slovakian flag. Uh, an RC yeah. driver? because they were too young to be officially under a Norwegian flag. You can do club racing, but you can't do national racing. Uh, Nick Damon and Tim Greer have been with me for the first hour. Uh, Nick's got a dash off. Tim is a long way away. We'll uh, see if we've got time for a little bit more. I quite fancy some lunch, you know. Oh, oh yes, it's coming up to uh, one o'clock with you. One o'clock. Right, OK. Surely you're going to have a coffee, aren't you? Yeah, several. <laughs> what, from any, <laughs> anyone? Yeah, well, d- 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 try to do the whole lot. Is it, there must be some sort of kind of like... Uh, trip of Seattle doing all 60 shops surely it's about that time then you never sleep for a year <laughs> I haven't oh. so far I'm very much sleepless in Seattle oh, oh he managed to get can't it in can't believe I set him up for that I crowbarred that one in Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. On the second 60 minutes of tonight's Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 33, we have quite a lot to fit in, actually. Uh, the Spirit of Le Mans is coming to Australia. That's exciting, isn't it? Well, let's find out as we delve into the details of that announcement 
uh, which came on, what, Tuesday here in the UK. Uh, Richard Krill will be joining us. Uh, we'll leave him till later in this hour so they can get up and have a cup of coffee. Uh, also, American news. Tony Dezino, respected journalist, has been following the Mazda Road to Indy for the majority of his career. He'll be giving us an, uh, his idea of the legacy that has been left. But next, it is IndyCar and Jeremy Shaw. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Delighted to welcome back to Midweek Motorsport Jeremy Shaw, who's joining us from the uh, the left-hand coast of the USA. Uh, good to have your company, Jeremy. How are you? Marvellous. Thank you very much indeed, John. Yes, uh, nice, beautiful weather out here now, and the fire's seem to be receding from around here at the moment. One of them flared up around yesterday, and it was uh, just over the top of the hill. Next, you know, very close here, but it seems to die down again today. So firefighters are doing a fantastic job, thanks to them. Uh, ridiculously busy time of the year uh, with your duties with us on IMSA Radio and also around the, the uh, IndyCar paddock as well. You were at Gateway last weekend. I... Uh, didn't sit up and watch it because it was in the very early hours of the morning here in the UK. But I did watch it as live very early on uh, on Sunday morning uh, when I uh, got up uh, and started making breakfast. Bank holiday weekend, of course, here uh, in the UK. And it was a bit of an edge of the seat one. Who says that, uh, that fuel saving can't be impressive? Um, a fabulous race. First of all, congratulations to Honda, who have won the uh, the manufacturers championship uh, and uh, a decent crowd and a pretty good race uh, yeah, absolutely right i mean the, there was yeah much of it was a bit processional but uh, it really livened up to and it was a fantastic uh, final, you know, final know, 100 laps or so. And it really exciting. You're right, it was edge of the seat stuff. And, you know, a great win for, for Will Power. Did a really, really good job. Uh, Rossi, you know, he seems to be that he, he's become the master of fuel save, hasn't he? Mm. Which is fairly, fairly kind of weird. But again, yeah, what, what got him that result as much as anything else was a fantastic save when he got up in the grey and almost hit the wall. So, you know, it's you need a little bit of luck on your side if you're going to win a championship like this. And he certainly had that on Saturday night. What what went wrong with um, with Scott Dixon? The the Ganassi team seemed seemed to fall between two stools, really. Jeremy didn't know whether to unleash him. Didn't know whether whether to tell him to save fuel. They clearly were going for the three-stop strategy early on, but that was blown out the water, as was everybody else, when the, the, the yellow came out. And, and then they couldn't seem to make up their mind. And by the time they brought him in and set him loose again towards the end, the opportunity of, of catching the leader had rather passed them by. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I, to be honest, I, I really didn't get uh, didn't get a chance to uh, to do much analysis on that. But... Uh, I think that's what it boils down to. You know, he was. I think he was a bit surprised to come out behind Rossi, but um, you know, but such 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 as the way it is. I mean, he, he ended up only losing three points mm. to Rossi. So, you know, uh, Will Power had the race had had the race won there towards the end. He just on this occasion did a better job. And but Dixie, you know, he, he's always there, isn't he? He's always knocking on a door, and it's that sort of see to. 
be what he needs now with his final couple of races uh, with the championship wrapping up in the next few weeks. In some respects, you can't, you know, I, I'm not having a pot with the Ganassi team or, or, or Scott. There was a little frustration in Scott's post-race interview. I felt he was a little bit like, mm, what happened there? But you're leading the championship. Mm. You, you don't make left field calls at that point, Jeremy, do you? No, no, you've got to be, you've got to be, you've got to have a, a you err on the side of caution. I mean, look, he, he didn't lead his first laps of the season until Detroit, which <laughs> is what, the seventh round of the championship. I mean, he hadn't led a single lap up until then. Um, so, yeah, what a turnaround it's, it's been. But, but by the same token, even though he hadn't led a lap, he'd had consistent finishes and was still, you know, some there or thereabouts in the, in the championship chase. Had a, you know, a, a a couple of podiums and you know was 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 there or thereabouts well since then it's been much stronger you know three wins in the in the uh in the last eight or nine races and and other than that he's been up on the podium each time so that's what it takes and you know so he, he's been around this spot long enough now he's he's one of the oldest statesmen which is fairly remarkable isn't it really to think about it from my perspective anyhow uh but you know, he knows how to win championships and he knows not to get flustered when things don't go ex- uh, absolutely according to plan. As you mentioned, a very different race from what we've expected in the past from Alexander Rossi. He's a very aggressive attacker and defender. He had to go into a different mode here, took the points that were on offer, made that decision, the team made that decision to go all the way to the end early on, and he had to stick with that then. But it's given him real momentum. He's on a roll with a couple of wins and a second place in the, the last uh, two races. Scott Dixon now 568 points to 542 for Rossi, I get a feeling the confidence is high in the Alexander Rossi uh, camp. Yeah, it certainly is, uh, and he's and he's so much more relaxed this year than he's been in the past. He's always been a bit kind of hyper, and uh, yeah, to, to be perfectly honest, not the most likable guy around. Um, but he's he's become more relaxed this year. He's become more comfortable with his surroundings. He he really has has grown very quickly to enjoy the IndyCar paddock you know he, he his his focus was all formula one formula one formula one and when it when he kind of had to come over here he looked at, upon it initially i think it's i think it's fair to say as a backward step you know as a not what he wanted to be uh and it, it kind of showed early on but he really has mellowed uh, and as a result of that you know he's just getting more gaining more maturity and is now put himself in a good place in and out of the car and that's what he will need for these final couple of races but but look you know, any of the top four can still can still win this thing you know the two Penske drivers Will Power and Joseph Newgarden they're kind of taking points off each other Joseph's not had the strongest last few races certainly but but again is it you know, he's in the top 10 each time um, and in a very 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 competitive field so you certainly won't count those either of those two out going into the final races, particularly, of course, a finale at Sonoma. There's double points on the line. Well, And Will Power did himself, if you'll pardon the pun, which is entirely um, predictable <laughs> from me, he did himself the power of good at the weekend. He's really in the fight now. There's 150 points left, as you alluded, uh, uh, to which you alluded there. He is 68 points behind Scott Dixon, and he's found his way 
to victory lane again. He hasn't had the most consistent of, uh, of seasons. And of the top four drivers, he's actually got um, three pretty poor finishes across the year, which most of the others haven't. And yet he's still in there. And you get the feeling that, you know, you, you could see from his body language at the end of the race, he's really starting to believe again. But it needs a bad, bad race from either Dixon or Rossi or both of them, doesn't it? It does. It does. There's no question about that. But but he, he has been on the podium each of the last three races, uh, a third, a second and a first. So that's trending in the right mm. direction for, for willpower. Uh, and uh, you know, that that was a, a real confidence booster for him last weekend. Look, you know, he's won more races than you know, he's won three races this season, which is the same as the two guys. Uh, well, the three guys around him, well, the top four have all run three races, haven't they? So uh, it's. It's been a wide open championship, and whoever ends up the winner is going to have really, really deserved it. And I, th- I would put this down as, as really a fantastic season. How do you rate Joseph Newgarten this year? There was a, a you know a, a lot of people outside of America probably didn't know Joseph very well when he won the championship last year, and I might have thought it was a flash in the pan. He's defended that number one on the car pretty well this year. He's going to end up in in the top four probably. He might even do better than that. Has he really announced himself and underlined that championship win from last year to, to prove that he's worthy of being right at the very top of the sport, Jeremy? I really do. Uh, he hasn't had a lot of luck on his side. But look, the last, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven races, he's qualified on the front two rows of the grid. Mm. I don't think anybody else can say that. Uh, and, you know, he's certainly got the speed uh, every time. Uh, has he has he put it all together on every occasion? No. And, and, and like I say, little, little niggly things have gone, gone against him. You know, last weekend, of course, the grid was set. Let's not forget the grid was set by championship points at Gateway because they... IndyCar decided not to have qualifying, which which we can maybe get into when we talk about the Mazda Road to India in a few minutes, actually, as, as it relates to that. Now, let's spill the beans now. Uh, it was interesting. Brian Herter, I was with Brian Herter when he came into the Mazda Road to India truck at one stage over the weekend. And it was it was on Saturday morning after the Mazda Road to Indy officials had decided that on Saturday morning – with, with qualifying having supposed to have taken place on Friday, they decide, look, we're going to give the guys in each of the series, Pro Mazda and Indy Lights, each a 15-minute pre-qualifying practice session and then pretty much straight into qualifying. Uh, and Brian was saying, hats off to you guys for doing that. He said, I think IndyCar could have learned from that because IndyCar decided on Friday they were going to have qualifying. That was the end of it. I mean, it was, there, was a, it, there was a full day on, on Saturday. They would have plenty of time to re, rejig their schedule a little mm. bit and have qualifying and elect, elected not to do that, which is kind of interesting in, in, in some ways. And certainly, you know, that meant that Dixie and... And you know, all the championship contenders were able to start up front rather than having, go th- have, having to go through the mix of qualifying as well. So I found that rather interesting. They, they did have a practice session, though. That was the interesting thing. Um, so as you say, there was there was time for Indy to go qualifying. They, they just decided that it wasn't going to happen. And I mean... The options always there. It's written at the regulations. If the the qualifying can't take place for whatever reason, and it's normally weather related when we're talking about ovals, of course, uh, and then you go on your championship positions. But there just mm. didn't seem to be any flexibility there, which was shown in the Master Road to Indy, which I, I, I think sort of, in some ways, Jeremy showed 
showed the IndyCar, uh, the, the IndyCar guys up just a little bit. I mean, you know, they'd made the decision, yeah. that's fine. But it was it was unfortunate for them that, that the Mazda Road to Indy series, the Paris series, decided to be a bit more flexible. Yeah, that's right. And I wonder whether it, it kind of, whether the IndyCar officials kind of harked back to Pocono the previous weekend, which, of course, was also just a two-day race meeting. And a lot of that practice there was, was, uh, was rained out as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, you know, twice in a row that they've had to rejig the schedule and they had, they had plenty of practice time on, on the, on the Friday because, you know, it, the morning it rained heavily, particularly heavily through the morning. And so everything was put back and they decided to run just a couple of practice sessions rather than trying to squeeze in the qualifying as well. And I think, I think, you know, there were certainly quite a few teams were, had been struggling during the during the race at Pocono, well, right from the very beginning, obviously, um, mainly due to the fact that they had very little practice time there. Right. So I think they decided to to give them a bit more practice and 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 issue the opportunity to, to go qualifying instead. So you know they were kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, and that's one of the difficulties you have when you try to basically try and save a little bit of money by having these two-day race meetings rather than the, uh, the, the sort of more, more normal three. You, you can't argue when people say we need more practice time because of safety. And, and you know, if, yes. if, that was, if that was how that, that thought process went, then they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And I'm certainly not going to second-guess the guys on, on, those, no. on, on, the, on those criteria. Uh, Portland this weekend, uh, as you've mentioned, and then it's Sonoma. Uh, but Portland this weekend, very important for the Mazda Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tyres. All three feeder categories into the Verizon IndyCar series. That's Indy Lights, Pro Mazda and the USF 2000 Championship are at Portland. Um, and uh, there's, I think, a couple of races for each of, of the series. Uh, there's a lot of money up for grabs here, Jeremy. Two and a half million dollars. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it's 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 fantastic what Mazda and and Anderson Promotions have done for the the, the feeder categories over the last you know, ten years or so, and it's uh, it is it's going to be a big weekend. Uh, interestingly, by the way, IndyCar this weekend does have a test session on the Thursday. <laughs> They've got a couple of sessions there, uh, and and so does the, t- the t- two lower levels of the Mazda Road to Indy USF 2000 Pro Mazda. They also have a couple of test sessions on the Thursday, but, but not in the line. But yeah, so all three championships, uh, well, two of the three championships are going to be up for grabs. Carl Kirkwood has had a fantastic year in USF 2000. He's already won that championship. That's the first rung on the ladder. So he's got already in his pocket $325,000 to spend on, on Pro Mazda next year. Uh, and what's interesting about that is he's got, he's got nine races in, in a row, or eight, yeah, nine races in a row that he has won. Wow. Remarkable streak. Uh, he... He cut. He can. There's two more races this weekend, you say, so he can take that total up to 12 wins for the season, which would be, which would equal the record that was set by J.R. Hildebrand wow. in 2006, which coincidentally was the last time that USF 2000 was actually at Portland International Raceway. Ah. That's kind of a nice little symmetry there. But he, he would come up one shy of the the most successful USF 2000 driver of all time. That being Chris Simmons. Who's Chris Simmons? Well, Chris Simmons nowadays is the race engineer for Scott Dixon. Really? Isn't and that cool? I, I had forgotten yeah, that he'd started he, no, one, no one has won more races in, in USF 2000 than, than Chris. Wow. Uh, Spencer Pickett actually won a dozen. 
um, over a couple of years, as did uh, as did Chris back in the uh, well, 25 years ago now. But uh, yeah, kind of cool, that isn't it? I'm sure he'd be delighted that you reminded him it was 25. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I do. I do every now every now and again when I see him. He always <laughs> asks how things are going on the lower levels. He's a great guy. Uh, how's um, things in Pro Mazda presented by Cooper Tires? That's the that's the middle of the current Mazda road to Indy, and there's 800 grand in dollars uh, up for grabs there to step up to Indy Lights in in 2019. Uh, a, a couple of uh, drivers, not US drivers, uh, Kyle Kirk- Kirkwood, by the way, we should say, is Florida's own Kyle uh, Kirkwood, who's already clinched, clinched that uh, USF 2000. Uh, a, a couple of uh, interlopers uh, in the middle series, the uh, Pro Master Championship. Yeah, Dutchman, young Dutchman, teenager, Renus VK, or Van Kalmthood is his proper name, but he goes for Rin- by Renus VK over here uh, for reasons which still escape me, but I guess it is easier to say and certainly to spell, that's for sure. Uh, he's he's just on a roll right now. He's got five wins in a row. He's taken a pretty commanding lead going to this final weekend. And Parker Thompson from Canada, super kid who's come up through the through the, the uh, Mazda to Indirects, had three years in USF 2000, was on the... Uh, the, uh, on the podium, let's say, in, in the last couple of years in the championship reckoning. Uh, they're both of them rookies this year in Pro Mazda, and they both have a, a shot at winning the championship. However, with a Parker Thompson, unfortunately, last weekend at Gateway had an electrical problem mm. which prevented him from qualifying. So it started at the back, ah. worked his way up to sixth, set the fastest lap, which showed what, what could have been because he'd been quick in practice as well. Uh, but he's the, what, the, the, where the points are now... It re- Basically, Renus VK only has to start, really, as you only has to start one of the races at Portland this weekend, and the championship is his. So uh, there's a you know an, an outside possibility for for, for Parker, but it's uh, even if he wins both races, it's an uphill battle. Mm. So it's looking like it's going to be Renus VK, and you know the kid he finished second last year in in the USF 2000 championship this is just his second year here in north america he's still only 18 actually he's not even yet 18 years of age maybe 18 in a couple of weeks so you know a very very talented young guy uh, in the indie lights presented by cooper tires uh, a couple of andretti team drivers andretti autosport uh and andretti uh, steinbrenner drivers and one very famous name Indeed, up uh, for the championship. Just 25 points between first and second and a million, one million dollars at stake. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? The prize, that, that's, that's the prize that's always worth a million dollars, the value of a million dollars. Three guaranteed races in next year's Fries and IndyCar Series, including the Indianapolis 500. Uh, if they can put together, you know, they'll need to find sponsorship obviously to, to extend that, but it's still a heck of a prize, isn't mm. it? And and uh, and it, so there's a lot, a lot up for grabs. I mean, you know, all of the drivers pretty much in Indy Lights, there's not very many. There's only there's going to be eight this weekend. Um, but it, it's a thin field. But I tell you what, the quality really is high. Colton Herter, he, he's the uh, the established name, let's say. You know, 25 years after his dad, Brian, won the championship, Colton has a chance. But unfortunately, he, he, he really scuppered his chances at Toronto in a dismal weekend there, crashed three if not four times during the weekend uh, broke a thumb as well so came away there with minimal points that weekend and that kind of put him on the back foot meanwhile Patricio Award youngster teenager from from Monterey in Mexico really sharp young guy I remember when I first when he first did a, a, a pro Mazda test three or four years ago he was 15 he was at the Chris Griffiths memorial test at the end of the season and all he'd done at that stage was he'd done some F 
four actually in France in the uh, in the French Air Force Championship. But I, I I was so impressed. He was so mature for 15 years of age, and he was quick. I thought, crikey, this this young man is going to be one to watch. And indeed, he is. He's had a fantastic season. Been on the podium 11 out of the 15 races. Um, he's had four wins out of the last half dozen. You know, seven wins in all. I mean, he will be a worthy champion. If he, if he, and really all he has to do, what he needs, if Herta wins both races this weekend and scores the bonus points for pole and leading most laps, then Patricio Ward, he will need to have a third and a fourth place finish to tie it up. Um, so, you know, it's it's not a foregone conclusion. But Holton, Colton is still in the mix. And of course, he, he, he kind of ruled last weekend where he had a fabulous battle for the lead with Ryan Norman at Gateway. It was a tremendous battle between those two. And Ryan Norman got past Colton with just a few laps to go to win the race. And that five point swing, you know, could be could be end up pretty, being pretty significant. Colton was a bit disappointed afterwards, but he, he handled it very well after saying victory lane. And uh, so, you know, he's going to go into this weekend knowing that he has to win both races from the pole uh, and uh, and lead most laps if he's got any chance, if, if realistic chance, of beating a ward to the championship. But either of them, quite frankly, would have been a... Uh a worthy, worthy series champion this year. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the coverage uh, this weekend from Portland Raceway. Love that little short, flat track. Uh, before we let you go, Jeremy, a quick uh, look at IMSA. No IMSA racing this weekend. We'll reconvene next week at the newly named WeatherTech uh, Raceway Laguna Sega, we're all going to throw $10 into the jar for, <laughs> for Jill and the team there after the many years that uh, she uh, hammered into us that we had to remember the uh, original sponsor, the, the previous sponsor of that. And, and news coming in, um, we, we talked last time that you were on the show about the take-up of the privateer teams with DPIs. Uh, news coming through uh, earlier on this week that the AFS PR1 Matheson Motorsports has decided to change chassis for the last two races of this season planning for 2018. Uh, they're going to ditch their Ligier and, and head to a Gibson. Head to an Orica, yes. Uh, I mean, following the following the trend, really, aren't they? I mean, clearly, the Orica has been the car to beat. It has been. It's the same. It's been at Le Mans like, for, you know, for what, how long? How long this package has been going? Two or three years now. Um, it's clearly the car to have. Uh, same over here. The Ligier can be competitive on its day, but it, it's always it always seems to have been an uphill struggle. The Orica is just a little bit more effective. And so they've kind of bitten the bullet and they're going to give that car its debut uh, next weekend at WeatherTech Raceway. And, and of course, that's the, the home team, home race for that team. They're based in Fresno, California, only you know, less than a couple of hours away from, from the racetrack there. And the Matheson's there from, from California as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a great weekend. Yeah. You know, run up front right away with that car but certainly you know they're building towards next season it's good to see that there are still the global p2 cars that are coming on stream and you're looking forward to a campaign in in 2019 yes jeremy just starting to lose you a little bit there so we'll say thank you very much and uh, i'll see you in california you're on home ground for that one as well thank you jeremy enjoy the weekend at portland i'm very envious Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. See you there.
Let's stay with the IndyCar paddock at least. Jeremy mentioning there the banquet for Mazda Road to Indy all three of the development series, the ladder series at Portland at the weekend. As you probably know, in fact, we reported on this programme, Mazda are coming to the end of their support of that Road to Indy programme. And whilst I was at VIR recently, took the opportunity to speak to Tony DeZeno, respected motorsport reporter. And he's covered the Mazda Road to Indy, well, for quite a long time. So I thought it'd be a good idea if we sat down and had a chat about the legacy that's been left by Mazda Road to Indy. A special bit for me has been able to cover the Mazda Road to Indy the last five to six years but it's a program that's gone back to 2010 formally and even a little bit informally before that with the uh, the old champ car atlantic series back in 0607 and you look at the amount of millions of dollars that they've contributed to so many young drivers careers the champions that have moved on to the next level that by way of winning a mazda scholarship and winning the soul red livery that goes with it they carry that for the next year and it's become it's become this real fabric this real community of drivers that have a special kinship that have been able to advance their careers solely from one manufacturer and the first thing i want to pick up on there you mentioned money it's you know sometimes it's a dirty word in motorsport but we are talking real hard folding cash here yes some of it had to be spent moving up the ladder but we are talking millions and millions of dollars that mazda has put into the business of motor racing by supporting these young drivers they've gone on and spent that in terms of some of the teams that have got that money, that's made the difference between them being here and not being here. Oh, absolutely. You look at teams that have moved up as a result of the Mazda scholarship. I go back to a weekend at Sonoma in 2014. This was a weekend where Indy Lights, Pearl Mazda, and USF 2000 all had their championship races, and it was it was mental. I mean, it was like Jeremy was losing his mind in the media center. <laughs> You're well aware of that. But Spencer Piggott was locked in this duel with Scott Hargrove for the Pearl Mazda championship, and it was just thrilling to see who would come out on top. Spencer had a, a crash earlier in the weekend, so the Yunkos racing team needed to repair the car. Spencer goes on to win the championship in the most dramatic of fashions as Hargrove has a mechanical issue. There's just euphoria in victory lane. Spencer's not only won the championship, but he's won the prize scholarship package from Mazda where he moves into Indy Lights. He's got a soul red car. The Yunkos team moves into Indy Lights, start of a new generation for that championship with the Delara IL-15, the Mazda MZRR engine. And suddenly you've got a new team and a new, new series of stars emerging within a championship that you didn't have previous to that. And... All right, I'm not saying it's as, as a direct result, but we'll see an IMSA Junkos moving over to IMSA with a Dallara chassis, funny enough, and, and a, a Cadillac power plant in uh, the next season of, of racing here. Seminal moment for the driver and for the team. Absolutely, and you look at the number of drivers' careers that have changed for the positive as a result of that. Guys that, you know, and maybe they don't race Mazdas now, but their legacy is very much tied to them. You look at the IMSA paddock, John Edwards is a Mazda alumnus, Connor DiFilippi is a Mazda alumnus, Dane Cameron now drives, drives for Acura Team Penske, he's a Mazda alumnus, and, and the list is long and foreboding. I mean, it's like, you look at the Mazda prototype lineup, yeah, that's four drivers, but there's 15, 20, and that's before you get into the ranks, you know, in the other, some of the IMSA championships. So... I think it's a given then from what we've said that Mazda have been part of the the fabric of driver development in the US for this eight plus years. What have Mazda got out of it? Driven by a number of things, I would think, not least the enthusiasm of John Doonan, who 
he still thinks, by the way, of all of those guys you've mentioned and everybody else and people whose names we can't even remember as his boys because he knows how important it's been to them. And he doesn't do that in a bragging way. He does that because he's still genuinely interested in what they do. But we'll talk about John as an individual in a moment, but what have Mazda got out of this? Mazda has, for eight years, been basically the biggest... Uh, how would you say biggest person or biggest entity that's provided so many young drivers and young teams an opportunity to move forward in their careers and it's no secret that John Doonan one of his most enjoyable race mornings is Indianapolis 500 race morning a day there is no Mazda content in the field from a manufacturer standpoint but 20 to 25 27 drivers are Mazda Road to Indy alumni and you stand there and, 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 and it's so cool to hear almost the quiet of race morning you walk the pit lane you see a Spencer Piggott a Matthew Brabham a, who Kyle Kaiser, who won this past championship, you see their names on the walls, and you know that they wouldn't be in that position without Mazda's uh, benefit and impact. It's a it's a special moment, but then you hear 400,000 screaming race fans and, and loud <laughs> engines, and that changes the game a bit. Let's talk about Mr. Doonan. Um, if you cut him open, he would have the Mazda logo right throughout his torso. But he's not just about Mazda. Clearly, that's his focus, and he's driven by Mazda and by the Zoom Zoom that's in every Mazda, it's in Doonan as well, there's no doubt uh, in my mind, but this man is a petrol head, gasoline runs through his veins. John Doonan is one of the most special people I've had the opportunity to, to meet and, and interact and get to know with over the course of my career, you know, both as a reporter, PR, and kind of doing a, a bit of both. The guy has soul red blood. He also ah, has, he has, or you could say he has a tinge of green and orange from the, the 1991 victory at Le Mans. But uh, what he's done is he wouldn't have had the team of people around him to make this program succeed and be as, as longevity as it was if he didn't care about it and I think the fact that he's worked with Japan for so well on that I think part of the issue and part of the transition for this is you know there's been a lot of internal changes at Mazda over the winter um, there's been a you know a restructuring a changed focus with the Mazda team Yost coming on board here to, to the DPI class and and suddenly you've seen that kind of shift and it's a shame in some respects because I think John's passion would have carried it forward if it was solely up to him and I think that's that's the that's the sadness and it is you know when you look at at the you can't let, you can't let the sadness take over I mean the passion is, is is the good and that's what carries it in some ways though everything has to change and when you've been with a particular program for so many years I, I understand though it hurts me to even think this way there is a law of diminishing returns because you get to the stage where everybody just expects Mazda to do this now and, and we've talked about the considerable amounts of money that, that's going into this and motor racing doesn't ever get any any less expensive um, but let's not dwell on that let's dwell on the positives what in your mind in the time that you've seen it and even going back before that when I know you were uh, watching from the sidelines what do you think have been the greatest achievements of Mazda's involvement in the road to Indy in this in this driver development is it individual drivers or is it bigger than all of that I think it's bigger than that I think Mazda simplified a fractured ladder system in a very just straightforward three-tier series you look at the European formula system it's completely convoluted you don't know which way to go which money to spend which route to take this was well, a, yes you don't know which series is equivalent to another is that one does that get me further up the ladder or is that a sideways step is it have I slid down snakes and ladders over there absolutely but you know whereas here this has been a, a several step process and you know as USF 2000 came back relaunched in 2010 
then Star Mazda came under it, then Indy Lights came under it, and suddenly you had to be very clearly defined three steps. You win this, you win the scholarship, you move up. You lose, you, you have to find other sources. I mean, and the tension and the just sheer volume of how drivers would react when you get to a mid-Ohio, for instance, you know, the cauldron and then the, you know, the pressure is mounting. But that made those weekends so interesting. And if you were not paying attention to Mazda Road to Indy on IndyCar weekends, you're missing out big time. We always remember the winners, of course. This is a results-driven sport. But I can't help thinking that there'll be just as many, if not more, stories from guys who've been involved in Mazda Road to Indy down through the years who maybe haven't won the big prize, but being involved at that level of competition and where the spotlight is shining on that level of competition has allowed them to make the next step. There's some under-the-radar drivers you might not have heard of, but then suddenly you look at a Le Mans entry list, and, oh, there's Will Owen in an LMP2 car with United Autosports, with Juan Montoya as his co-driver, right? And, you know, you've got Danny Burkett won a Continental Tire race here a couple years ago with with Mark Miller at VIR. There's countless stories of drivers who had their training in the Mazda Road to Indy. They've transitioned to sports cars. They've learned how to drive, but most importantly, they've learned how to represent a brand and how there's, there's this media training. There's a lot of other just details that were passed on to these drivers that taught them so much more than just being a driver because as we know you can't just make it on talent you have to have you know the whole package well we accept nowadays that drivers at a certain level can drive the car and indeed it's often the other things that makes the difference and that is also where the Mazda difference has been made because they have put effort and investment into making drivers aware of fitness major relations etc yeah, and, and that's just it. It's, you know, every year there was a spring training event, and it's not just it's not just the on-track stuff. Nobody needs to read much into testing times because it's all bonkers anyway, right? <laughs> you know, you've, you've had the media sessions during the weekend. You have other just, you know, seminars. There's oval seminars. Like, they've held an oval clinic where you've got Dario Franchitti and Joseph Newgarden teaching you how to drive on ovals. Does it get any better than that? I don't, I'm not sure it does. You, maybe if you had Rick Mears as well, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? You know, if we, if we have to go with Dario, we will. Um, it's not the end of the road to Indy by any stretch of the imagination and people who might look at that and go oh the sky's falling in what we can say is alright Mazda's leaving they have different priorities now but they have left this ladder system that you so beautifully described and how they've brought that back together they've left it in a much better situation now than when they got involved it's far more defined uh, the Anderson organization will carry on and yes there'll have to be more money found but it's in a better place now than it was I go back to when Mazda first came in prior to the formal Mazda Road Indy. They kind of stabilized the ladder system for the first time with Atlantic. And you had guys, Simon Pagino, you know, Rafael Matos, John Edwards were Mazda champions in those. Now the Road to Indy is in a position where, and they still have some good partners. Cooper Tires is able to continue as well. Um, that there, there's not the question of, is, is Road to Indy going to continue? It's how does it continue? Mazda's taken it to this level where you didn't know who you guys were, but you look at an IndyCar field now, half the field's Mazda Road to Indy alum. Again, as mentioned, IMSA's got such a big presence around the world. You know, a Nico Jamin, a Will Owen, like we mentioned earlier. They're, they're everywhere, and I think that's ultimately going to be their legacy to this deal. That's interesting because that's what I was going to ask you about. What is Mazda's legacy? The legacy is that it will continue. And, of course, the drivers who've come through it, some of the bigger names, some of the lesser names, will always know a little bit more about them, having seen that they've been involved. And also, I just wonder as well, Tony, if 
Mazda having been involved for that amount of time, that shows another potential partner what can be achieved by being involved. Because motorsport isn't always an easy sell. And, and it's a good point you make there, John, because when you think about it, Mazda was more the badging on the engine. It wasn't the actual engines themselves. It was engine builders, you know, Elite and AER were the two contracted vendors. But Mazda was known for the Mazda Road Indians. Like, you didn't matter. It didn't necessarily matter that, it, you know, unless you're a die, as you say, a diehard petrol head, you're really into the, okay, here's what the AER, the Elite is. You know it's a Mazda series. So for any potential partner that was to get involved with it, you're going to have name recognition. You're going to be on IndyCar weekends. You're going to have, you know, IMSA weekends possibly, you know, if the schedules work their way out. There's so much more value for any potential partner beyond, and, and then you can be the one to say, hey, look at, we found them before they were stars. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you go, but what is your, what is going to be your abiding memory of Mazda being involved with the Mazda Road to Indy? Just a special family of what they were able to foster for the, uh, for the, the ladder system because through the amount of races I covered and people I met within that championship and where they've gone now it's like you know you've known a James Hinchcliffe for 10 years you know it's like how does that happen oh he was just this quirky Canadian Atlantic kid you know X number of years ago then you've got guys like Joseph Newgarden who was an Indy Lights champion you've got again on down the line the Spencer Piggott's is kind of you know the, the golden child but he's not the only one I think you know that's that's the part that is so special about this is you look at the names and talent and the media that's been created some of the people around it there's a real family atmosphere Mazda helped to foster that and it was a pleasure to be able to cover for the majority of their tenure Tony Tosino talked to me a couple of weeks ago at VIR about the legacy of Mazda Uh, a legacy of hope is how he's described it uh, in the written article that goes alongside that and I I recommend you go on to tsoladder.com presented by Cooper Tyres, uh, tsoladder.com, uh, for Tony's uh, extended thoughts on what Mazda has left in the Mazda road to Indy. And thanks very much to Tony for taking some time out of a very, very busy weekend uh, at VIR to record that for him. We'll make that available as a standalone podcast as well. And I'll tweet the full link. Uh, to that article. But if you go to tsoladder.com, you will find it. It's Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 33. And in the uh, late hours for us of Tuesday, I've no time what it was for our next guest because I always get it messed up. I just know we have to leave him towards the end of the programme so that we don't get him up half an hour before he went to bed. Uh, The ACO uh, have announced... The Spirit of Le Mans coming to Australia. That means we need to have our Australian correspondent, Richard Creel. Uh, good morning, as it is to you, Creelzy. Thanks for coming on, mate. No, my pleasure. I'm, I'm kind of still on your time zone because I was there, what, still. a week ago? Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Still? So I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. No, it's a jet lag's not a thing. It's all a state of mind. But... Uh, no, I really enjoyed my time over there, by the way. Uh, listen, mate, great uh, great work, and thank you very much indeed for jumping in and helping us out at uh, at Silverstone. Uh, lots of positive comments. You need to come back and do... I, I, I've told you, you've got to come back and do some more of that. Well, there's an endurance race in France next year, I hear. Um, so just we'll see how that works, possibly. Right. If if you're serious about if you're serious about that, and and then don't tell me that there's there's some race somewhere unpronounceable that I've never heard of. You're in. I tell you, you're in, mate. 
I, I need to wait for our calendar, but yeah, let's uh, let's work on it. And it's calendar <laughs> we've got you on to talk about now, actually, in addition mm-hmm. to said calendar. The uh, 2019 Australian Motorsport calendar uh, still uh, being finalised by CAMS, the uh, Confederation of Australian Motorsport. Uh, but an announcement coming through uh, late on Tuesday evening, UK, from... Uh, the ACO says the Spirit of Le Mans is coming to Australia. Uh, a lot of people got very excited uh, about that, thinking that there might be uh, an endurance race going down there from the Asian Le Mans series or possibly even the WEC. Um, it's a first step towards that, I would say, and it involves LMP3. Well, as you know, uh, Richard is our... Uh, thanks to Richard, we've had the Australian prototype championship uh, on the airwaves of RSL uh, this season and we've got one of uh, their races coming up uh, next week in review uh, just after this time. Uh, Krilzy, I I mean this LMP3 announcement, let's um, let's just sort of dissect it a little bit because when you and I were talking, God, seems like a year ago now, but just before we started the Australian prototype uh, coverage uh, with you, there was talk of LMP3 being incorporated into that series from next year. D- does this usurp all of that? Yeah, it does. Um, first things first, I-, I mean, great that we're getting LMP3 for a start, and it, and it brings Australia into line with another international category that we can have on our shores that can then project drivers potentially overseas and I know part of this announcement was that uh, the champions of the inaugural LMP3 Cup in Australia will get an entry to the Asian Le Mans series which is terrific and of course if you go well in Asian Le Mans you get the entry into the Le Mans 24 hour and there's progression into WEC and things like that that we've seen before so that's all fantastic Um, it's a a complicated kind of scenario to break down because yes the Australian prototype series came out earlier this year in fact they came out at their launch two years ago saying we would like to be the home for LMP3 in Australia. We've got an existing category. We've got a competitor base of anywhere between 12 and 20 guys running CN cars, running radicals, running sports racer style cars. Um, it seemed like the logical place for LMP3 to slot into. And that would have taken away any of the grid pressure that a standalone category will have from a financial point of view, unless you've got, 12 cars a the show is not very good Mm. and b financially it becomes cripplingly expensive to run a category without critical massive numbers behind you to underwrite the whole thing so that was the initial plan and discussions were underway in that point but um for whatever reason and whatever's happened in between they've decided to go and this is the aco working with cams they've decided to go down the, the pathway of having an independent category uh, standing alone from the Australian Prototype Series um, with LMP3 cars. So it'll be a, a one-class category open to any of the four brands that produce LMP3 cars. Uh, and it will commence next year running on the Shannon's Nationals schedule, which is the, the second-tier series um, behind the Supercars Championship program here in Australia. Shannon's um, already has uh, streaming coverage, uh, and we're... Uh, able to uh, we're able to lock into that uh, here, and in fact, it's a, it's not geoblocked, so it goes across the world as as far as I'm I'm aware. So clearly, there'll be some yep. some streaming on that. Um, all good so far. Uh, on the outside, that sounds great. Um, when we were talking about LMP3 on the Australian uh, potentially coming in the Australian Prototype Championship, uh, the uh, these aren't cheap cars by Australian standards. Um, uh, 
because of all kinds of import duties and, and such like. There are a few out there as track day cars, but ostensibly what we're asking is, is people to make an, another investment here, Creelsey, and potentially have a grid of, well, I don't know how many cars. Yeah, my my personal concern, and I'll, I'll emphasise that this is my personal concern and not the, the prototype series, and they're still working through... Uh, their plans moving forward, and that series will continue on as is uh, into the foreseeable future. That, that was my um, that was my next question. So this doesn't yeah. replace the Australian prototype series. It no. runs as an addition to it, but not with the cars in a mixed class. Yeah, correct, okay. correct. So it'll be standalone from the APS. Um, and my certainly my early understanding, and and this announcement's only twenty four hours old as we speak. Uh, so there, there's obviously still people trying to. Uh, dissect and understand it from a, a business point of view from the APS. But certainly their initial intention, my understanding is that they continue on. So my, my personal viewpoint is that the, the sensible way to enter LMP3 racing into Australia would have been to run with the APS because yeah. the category is already there. Um, it's already runs under a, a sustainable business model. It's already got a competitor base. And there's a group of guys in that that had voiced their public opinion to that they were keen to buy LMP3 cars at some point anyway. So that would have been the natural evolution. And it would have given the series a critical mass to start with. What this does now is it just puts a, a little question mark over the series that if they can't hit whatever targets they've set for grid numbers, then it either A, will not happen full stop, or B, will struggle to get off the ground. And the last thing we want is a category running around with six to 10 cars, not very competitive, um, and that, that's that's not what we want from LMP3 in Australia. We want it to be healthy. We want it to be strong. We want it to become a viable stepping stone to Asian Le Mans mm. for those drivers looking to follow that pathway. So um, if it either doesn't get off the ground or it gets off the ground but it's really shaky and it disappears after a year and people have made this investment for no reason, then that would be a massive disappointment. Yeah. My personal opinion is that they, had they come in with the APS – the series is already there. You can get away with running six, eight cars amongst a broader grid of 20 yeah. of different classes, run class racing, which is the, the modus operandi of long-distance endurance racing anyway. Correct. Um, and then build it from there. And, and when, when there was critical mass for LMP3, you could spin that off and run it. But they've decided to go another way. So now we sit and wait and see if that's going to work for them. Uh- I've always said, Grills, and you've heard me say this, you can't learn multi-class racing unless you go multi-class racing. And the sort of people who are potentially wanting to buy LMP3s and go and race LMP3s and use the stepping stone that the ACO are talking about here will need to learn Mm. multi-class racing if they haven't done it. The other thing that I find interesting, although I think this is pretty good, um, is that... uh, you have to use at least one silver or bronze driver, which is fine. We've seen that before. Two yep. one-hour races, uh, presumably two drivers each. Um, they will yep. allow up to platinum drivers to run as co-drivers. Uh, that that yep. clearly gives up-and-coming drivers, gentlemen drivers, however you want to talk, uh, to, 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 to get into the car with some experienced professionals to help them develop. All of that, I think... I think it's great, but my worry would be the same as yours. Look, the Asian, Asian Le Mans series was launched in 2009. 2009, it's in its 10th season now, coming into yeah. its 11th year. It's taken a long time to get anywhere near the point that it is now. And, it, and it's still 
needs to be stronger. Um, I, I, I just wonder if they're trying to run before they, they can walk. Um, let me read you a couple of quotes. Uh, the guys from... Uh, ACO Pierre Fion has said LMP3 class of racing fastest growing prototype category globally Australia well known for creating world class motorsport events the cars style of racing in the organisation combined with some of Australia's most iconic racetracks should be an exciting prospect uh, Australia has a long and very successful motorsport history uh, with drivers from Australia regularly winning on the more, uh, uh, global stage mentions Mark Webber uh, all good and we know that Pierre Fion is a racer indeed he's raced uh, LMP3 cars himself so he knows of, of what he speaks Cams uh, Eugene Aroca is the CEO LMP3 an exciting addition to the autosport motorsport scene a category that's popular around the world calendar yet to be confirmed but we believe the Shannon Nationals will be will be able to host this category and showcase some exciting racing yeah okay that's all good the, the two quotes from LMP Cup Australia because and we haven't mentioned this but this is being promoted by an independent body uh, out there uh, Chris Papadopoulos who uh, has experience in Formula 1, used to be Kimi Raikkonen's engineer in Formula 1 for Renault, says the arrival of LMP3 racing in Australia is mega. Quick look online, we'll show him on the site and sound. Uh, the Cup's going to be great for spectators. The cost cap on cars and the nature of the category means it's cost-affecting. One-hour race for- format, no refuelling or pit-stop equipment, etc., etc. And Josh Hunt, who is a racer, also was a racer himself, uh, raced in the States, of course, in Atlantic a few yep. years ago. Uh, I've been excited about LMP3 since I saw it on debut at the 2015 Asian Le Mans series. The concept of fast, great-sounding cars that are cost-effective to run has been so successful around the world. Absolutely true, and we've seen it in IMSA competition, where it is a mixed category uh, at the moment, although that will end at the end of this season. The big rumble and V8s are fabulous. Uh, there's no doubt about all of that. Um, who are... Uh, who are LMP3 Cup Australia are Chris Papadopoulos and Josh Hunt those are the people that have been put up so that's a completely separate entity Uh, it's not part of the ACO and it's not part of CAMS yeah correct so CAMS are the governing body they write the rules Um, LMP3 Cup Australia is the business I suppose that's going to run it and operate it from a commercial standpoint so they've been the ones granted the rights to operate the category and uh, and we'll grow it. And Chris, as you said, he's hugely experienced on a, a global level. Um, and he and Josh are running a, a Carrera Cup team in Australia at the moment as well. So they've got a, a, a history of working together and running race teams. And they've, so they've got experience. No, no questions over their ability to do the job. Um, my only question comes from, is the market big enough to s- support it in Australia? And uh, is there enough people to buy cars and, and to field a grid of... Uh, the number I generally pull out is 12 cars, which I, I yeah, feel yeah. like is where you need to be successful. And your point about uh, the Asian Le Mans series is, is well made, and we watch that pretty closely here. And there are continual rumblings every year that we'll end up with a round of the Asian Le Mans series in Australia at some point. Yeah. And there are plenty of racetracks that could host that. Um, and, yeah, and as you said, only now is it just starting to find some critical mass and uh, a decent-sized grid of, of good competition that can – can stand out on the global stage and just as another anecdote your point on the the lap traffic i really like um and that would have been another pro for running within the aps but um i sat at abbey uh for the start of the WEC race uh, two weeks ago now at silverstone and watched uh lmp1 cars terrorize lmgte am cars yep. barreling through that very quick yep. right hand corner and uh it's certainly a skill to get up to speed to learn how to deal with that on blind fast corners 
and you and I see that every year at the Bathurst 12 hour and indeed the six hour as well. Mm. It doesn't matter to me um, what the mixed classes are when I've raced in the race of remembrance at Anglesey. Our prototypes are the very fast Lotus 7s. They're stripped down, they're fast. That's our prototypes, if you see what I mean. When I've raced in a GT4 car at... Uh, at, at Austin, at, at Texas, uh, our prototypes then are the GT, very fast GT3 cars. It's about awareness and, and being used to, whilst you're already busy trying to keep a car on a track and try and hit your apex, then worrying about whether there's somebody going to come barreling through. It's a very, very important skill to learn. Um, I, I don't want you to make a comment about this, but I'm going to ask you one question. And I just, uh, Papadopoulos is a name that I'm aware of in Australian motorsport. And, I, I, and there may be one f- more family, but isn't there a Papadopoulos at the, the head of, of CAMS? Isn't Andrew Papadopoulos the president? Is that any relation? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Son of. Okay. Um, and Chris Chris left Australia when he was a young guy, having engineered Formula 3 cars and then went over to Europe and worked in S3 over there. I believe he worked for Alan Docking Racing for a long time and then uh, moved his way up through the ranks into to Formula 1. So, yeah. But um, the the board, whilst they have overarching control of cams, have no massive say in terms of the operational stuff no, and no. signing off on the the commercial matter. So that's it, the CEO it, that, it, and, and the board that looks after that. It's a, it, what, I, what I, the point I'm making is it's a it's a well known Australian motorsport name. Crailsey, oh, yes. yeah. cheers, mate. Thanks for helping to uh, unpick that. Of course, as soon as we see the calendars, we'll be able to to see what's going on, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, a, another Australian prototype uh, series race coming up shortly. In a bit of a break at the moment, uh, and yes. no more races for a wee while. But I think we've got a race next week that you are are putting together for us. Yep, the next show will be up next week. So we're at Queensland Raceway not too long ago. A very interesting round that has big ramifications for the championship overall. So listen out for that. We'll have our usual uh, half-hour package with race coverage of the key race from that weekend coming your way uh, on the RSL Network next week. Can't wait for that, Krilsey. Thanks very much indeed. So more of Krilsey next week with the Australian Prototype Championship, the Australian Prototype Series. Right, before the end of the show, let's squeeze in another guest, this time on the telephone. Some breaking news coming in that involves uh, one of our friends from the IMSA paddock, Damien Faulkner. Welcome to Midweek Motorsport. Evening, Damo. Evening, John. How are you doing? Very well, Damo. I know that in a couple of minutes' time, uh, there's a, a press release uh, going out. Um We'll, we can break the news. You've said it's okay, so thank you for that, giving us an exclusive here on Midweek Motorsport. Looking for pastures new, Mr. Faulkner, uh, leaving Winwood Racing. Yeah, uh, what can I say? I've been taking advice off da- Danny Ricardo. Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> why is why why now? I mean, what is it? You've had a good couple of seasons, more than that, with the guys. You've been involved from that project from the start. Um, What's what's is there an issue or, or, or what? How, how, why now? It just seems like the right time to be honest. Um, and, and you're right. I have been in that that uh, team for the last two years, actually, since its inception, um, and have been sort of pretty heavily involved, actually, in many different aspects, um, which was a great experience, um, and it was you know fantastic um, and an honour to be entrusted with with. Um, you know, with that responsibility, because it was much more than um, just coaching and driving um, also. That, that's almost a given nowadays, Demo, uh, in that type of pro-arm racing. We're talking about the Continental Tire Sports Car 
challenge, of course, as part of the uh, the IMSA package. You've been in a, a GT4 car uh, with them in the GS, the Grand Sport uh, category. Um, it's almost a given that a driver can drive. We also expect that the drivers have to be able to mentor and do uh, coaching and, and things like that. But it, w- it must have been nice for you to be involved in, in the actual formation of that team because you were right in on, on ground level with that. And that gave you an opportunity, I presume, to use some of the experience you've gained over the years that perhaps maybe hadn't been used before. Yeah, that's true. And it, it, it really sort of, um, you know, shed some some light on, on other aspects of, of uh, I bet. you know, the way a team runs, uh, being involved in some of the decisions, um, some of the introductions. I mean, I made the introduction, for example, to CJ Wilson racing. That was through our friend Dex um, originally. Um you know, took them took them into to uh, to IMSA in the in the Continental Series, um, and uh, yeah, it was great to be involved in some of those decisions, and and um, uh, yes, yeah, it's just re- through really experience, and that I was able to you know uh, use my guidance for mm. for for want of a better word, uh, um, but also the, the the you know the coaching aspect of the coaching element was was probably. Um, you know the main one there, and um, that I was able to use, you know, my my experience um, to its to its fullest. And you know, it's you been know, a hell of a journey, Dibble. Uh, it's been a it's been a hell of a journey in a short time. Because let, let's not forget that uh, Bryce and, and Russell uh, club races. It's not as if they didn't know their way around a, a racetrack, but to come from club racing, even a, a reasonable standard of club racing, to uh, an international professional series in a couple of seasons and to be the, the sharp end at the front. And, and both of those drivers, both Bryce and, and Russell, who you've been particularly involved with, I mean, their confidence levels, we talk about Jeremy and I talk about it all the time, their confidence levels have come up. That must be particularly satisfying for you to have been a part of that. Yeah, it has, and I mean, you know, it's it, obviously it's not all down to me. There's been a lot of um, a lot of uh, help and a great crew behind them as well. But but also, I should say that both Bryce and Russell, I mean, their passion for this sport is is um, is is really comes from the heart. I think. Um, I mean, they they came from Lemons, twenty four hours of Lemons races where they prepared their own cars. Um, there's not many that can really say that, um, and and so. You know, with that passion, they were able to. Um, we were able to sort of mould them into uh, professional motorsports, and you know, I was there just to guide them and and uh, coach them along the way, I guess. And and um, you know, I I just there, there's there's different sort of elements. They did two series. Uh, Russell did two series last year. One that I was uh, coaching them in. Um, that was the PDC Championship in the West Coast. Um, and that was a, that was fantastic because it gave him, you know, a, a sort of um, that was sprint racing, um, and so it was a sort of a, a great format where there was two races over over one weekend, and uh, you know he gained a lot of experience there. And then, you know, obviously racing with him in the Continental Series last year and both this year as well. And um, uh, yeah, so it's, it it has it's been very uh, I would say fulfilling um, to see him develop. Uh, both himself and uh, Bryce, and you know, I, I remember on occasion being being in Houston at the local test track with both of them, uh, testing the cup cars uh, when it all started two years ago. And you know, I would do things like um, give them a race run to do, and mm. you know, monitor their lap times. But 
you know, maybe halfway through their race run, I would jump in the other car and suddenly appear behind them. <laughs> and so what I was coaching them was just to stay out of their mirrors yes. um, and, and their lap times then would be monitored and I would, you know, stick the nose in here and there um, and they might have to defend, but I didn't want them looking in the mirrors or driving defensively. Good. And the whole exercise was about, you know, trying to gain as much experience as possible, and, you know. Um, in a, con- guess, in a yeah. controlled environment, yeah, yes, very, very good, very, very good. Don't give all your secrets away, Demo. Um, so a, a new challenge. It's time for a new challenge. What's, uh, what, what's on the cards? Have you got something specific or are you effectively putting yourself out there at the moment? It's a good time yeah. to be in sports cars in the US at the moment and you've got a, an exceedingly large amount of, of IMSA and US experience. John, unlike uh, Daniel Ricciardo, I'm, I'm not able to announce a, a contract with Renault or anyone else. Um, at this time, that's a that's a million dollar question, really. Um, I don't know is the answer. I would love to stay within the IMSA umbrella, either you know in the in the uh, the Continental Tire Series and GT4, or indeed go back into the GTD paddock that I was that I was part of for so many years. Um, either way, um, you know, it's it's just about trying to find the opportunity that you know that that fits. Um, and so you know, I'm, it's it's exciting trying to trying to search for that opportunity. Demo, thanks very much for coming on at short notice right at the end of the show. Uh, we'll we'll see you at the WeatherTech Raceway, uh, Laguna Seca, and uh, also at Petit Le Mans. Wish you and the the Winwood team the best for the the rest of the season. Good luck, mate. Thanks, John. Take care. Thank you. It's Damien Faulkner joining us live on the phone with the breaking news then uh, of his move away from Wimwood. And I'm sure we'll find out, if, as we've had that as an exclusive, I'm sure we'll find out uh, where he's going as soon as the deal is done there. It's been a busy midweek motorsports tonight, but that's all we've got time for. Thanks to Tim, to Nick, to Creelsey, uh, to Tony DeZino and to Jeremy Shaw. I will be back next week at the same time, 8 o'clock in the UK. But until then, no time to explain the llama He's very busy indeed. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.